Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone and happy Friday. Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman with Matt Rocchio on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy Carriker. Good morning to you. Happy Friday. I'm looking forward to the weekend. It should be fun. Yes, it should. I'm looking forward to catching up on some Z's for my trip. Yeah, right. We've got some trip info here that uh, will be uh, th- this is news you can use coming up in just a moment here on 101 ESPN. But we're going to start with the fact that the Blues lost to the worst team in hockey last night. The Montreal Canadiens beat them 3-2. to two. And, Michelle, when you lose within the space of a week to New Jersey and to Montreal, that's a red flag for me. This is kind of alarm bells as far as I'm concerned because the Blues, if they think they're good, should not be losing to these teams. If you lose one, you, you come off an 11-day break and you say, okay, well, I kind of get it. There was some rust there. Mm-hmm. You can't go to Montreal and lose to the Canadians and lose – with a last-minute goal and then an OT. Yeah, no, with eight seconds left, you can't let that happen, especially um, versus a team like Montreal. But, Randy, I always look at a game like this and try to say why. Why could something like this happen? You have a Canadiens team who has an infusion of energy with their new coach, Martin St. Louis. You have a Blues team that we know for a fact does not do well in a cavernous, empty stadium mm-hmm. environment and an arena where there's no fans. And it just seemed like they had no energy. And this is not an excuse for them, especially coupled with the other game that you mentioned but I do wonder if that's something that really is difficult even at this point for them to overcome when they have to manufacture their own energy and get up for a game perhaps the team is built that way they certainly had those issues when they didn't have fans in the stands but it's one thing to lose a game to another good team where there's no energy the Blues should be able to play with no energy and beat Montreal the way things are going. Montreal have won only eight games coming into last night. And by the way, well, first of all, let's hear from Craig Berube, the Blues head coach, on what he thought of the loss and of the individuals in the loss. Well, we got a point and move on. Like, you know, but we got to be better. We got to, you know, each individual on a team has to be accountable to the play, his play. And um, we need more guys, um, in my opinion, that have to play better. Do we have some guys that just are aloof out there right now and um, aloof with the puck and just a little bit casual? Um, we need everybody on board to, to do the right things and play the right way. And, Michelle, when you look at the score sheet from last night, and it's obvious because Jordan Cairo just he, he wasn't visible except for the turnover that led to the winning goal in the game. Mm-hmm. Braden Shen plays uh, 17 minutes, no shots, did have three hits. Brandon Saad plays 15 minutes and 50 seconds, doesn't show up at all on the the score sheet. No shots, no missed shots, no hits, no giveaways, no takeaways. And then you have uh, Jordan Cairo in the same situation. And those are guys that you expect, especially because Shen has been so hot of late mm-hmm. and Cairo is your all-star. You expect those guys to step up. And by the way, both Shen and Cairo were minus two on the night. Also, Colton Pareko kind of gets caught, and this isn't unusual for him, unfortunately. 
but he gets caught standing around just watching the game like we do. And that when you have your number one, at least your number one paid and your number one contracted defenseman kind of standing around watching at times, at key times, that is a real negative for your team. And with this team, we've said it before, they are not a team that has an MVP that's going to win a game for you. Sure, there are times where Vladimir Tarasenko can take the team on his shoulders and go score a goal, but they don't have that player that, like like a McDavid, and he doesn't do it all the time, or a McKinnon, they don't have a player that's going to win a game for them. This is a team that's built on effort. This is a team that's built on everybody pulling the rope in the same direction of, as we've we've talked about a lot, Four waves coming mm-hmm. at you, wave after wave after wave. And when one of those waves isn't performing up to the effort level that you expect or need, then the team's going to lose to the worst team in hockey. Yeah, and regardless of the quality of the opponent, you need to bring that intensity and that sense of urgency to the ice every single night. And I know sometimes it might be easy to look at a team like Montreal and say, well, you know, they're a terrible team. Very we're going, easy to do. We're going to beat them and overlook a team like that. But obviously, it's the National Hockey League, and you can't do that. And I, if I'm the Blues and I have my head coach after the game saying that I'm too casual with the puck and that I look aloof out there, that's something I'm taking stock of. And this happens in hockey over the course of 82 games. I remember a couple of years ago how mad I got down the stretch in March, late season game. You guys probably remember the, the year the Blues won the Cup in mm-hmm. two, 2019. They go into Ottawa, and Ottawa was the worst team in the league by a wide margin, and they lose to the Senators. So it has happened before, and it'll probably happen again this season. But with where the Blues are in the standings right now, only two points ahead of Nashville for a spot in the divisional playoffs, and perhaps avoiding Colorado or Vegas in the first round, you need to take every point out there, including that extra point they lost last night, and separate yourselves from from Nashville and Dallas. Because if you play Colorado or Vegas in the first round, it doesn't matter. The Blues are screwed. If they don't have home ice and they play one of those teams in the first round of the playoffs, they're screwed. Didn't last night remind you of the bubble? No fans, yeah. empty, no energy. It just felt like I was back in 2020 watching the bubble team. And that was scary. Right. Like you could watch them regress to that point. And then the first half of last season when you didn't have fans in the stands. Yeah, it does. But... All these players have played before virtually nobody in the past, and they've certainly done it as a team. At some point, you got to figure that out, and you have to maybe look at other teams and see how they build their own energy. And the, the Blues just, if that is an excuse that they have, and they have used that in the past, it wouldn't be out of their DNA to, to use it, but they should have learned by now, don't you think? Yeah, whatever you need to do. Do we need to play the Kelly Chase video from the Stanley (laughs) Cup finals run in the locker room before the game? I don't know what uh, needs to shift, but you need to find a way to, regardless of opponent, regardless of environment, bring that intensity every night. All right, other things going on. SLU will play Davidson tomorrow. That's a big one. Davidson, the ranked team in the A-10, and they are number one in the A-10. The Billikens will have their hands full. We also have number 11, Illinois, traveling to number 19, Michigan, tomorrow. A rebound game after that loss to Rutgers. Yeah, that's what they need. Yes, they do. The baseball players and owners met yesterday for 15 minutes, Michelle. Oh, 15 whole minutes. 15 minutes. Yeah, this segment might go 15 minutes. (laughs) Randy, I 
was reading about this last night, and I have a motion that I would like to present to you. Mm-hmm. We need to uh, employ someone that I would like to call the CSP in these negotiations. Okay. A common sense person. <laughs> Can we just elect one common sense person to enter these negotiations, and when these two sides, after 15 minutes, are ready to wrap, this person says, whoa, 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 wait up. There was no discussion of luxury tax, tax thresholds today. There's no talk about minimum salary today. There's no talk about revenue sharing today. You guys need to sit your butts back in the chairs, and common sense would tell you that we need to address every issue before we can break. Michelle, I have an idea to expand upon your idea. Okay, great. How about a a CSP for both sides? I love it. I love two CSPs in the room. How about if our CSP on the player side is Adam Wainwright, and the CSP on the owner's side is Bill DeWitt Jr.? perfect two people with a lot of mutual love and respect for one another Mm -hmm. who also not only want to get this done for their own benefit but appreciate the vitality of the game as a whole and the fans and the fans of course yes i remember when bruce Suter left for atlanta as a free agent and the negotiations took place above whitey herzog it was a general manager and Suter's agent situation and bruce left for a huge contract and after Suter signed with atlanta as a free agent whitey said you know, if they would have just let me go fishing with Bruce, I could have negotiated a contract in five minutes and he'd be a cardinal for life. Ridiculous. Yeah. And that's what we need here. We need people that aren't in it for themselves, but are in it for the good of the game. The guy Bruce Meyer, the player's negotiator, and the guy Dan Haslam, the Hallam, the, the owner's negotiator, they don't care about the game. They don't care about sports. They're professional labor negotiators. They couldn't care less about the fans and the customers. And it's one thing if if you're a negotiator for UAW and you're negotiating for Chrysler. Yes. All right. And people aren't paying attention to your negotiations. And if your people do go on strike, it's bad for them. But people can live without buying cars for a couple of weeks. Right. Baseball is a different animal. And I don't believe that the owners or the players have done themselves a service by hiring the people that they have to negotiate. Uh, They're good at their jobs. They both want to be hated by the other. Correct. But that's just not the way baseball works. Baseball is a unique industry in that you will tick off your customers if your product isn't available even for a day. Absolutely. People, as we heard yesterday, are already being so turned off by this because it's a continuation of these this clash of egos that we've seen between the players and the owners. We saw it at the onset of the pandemic. But that's why you need a common sense person, a CSP in the room to say, we need to check the egos at the door. No one is going to know what happens outside. No one outside of these doors is going to to think about it the way that you're thinking about it right, right now. No one's going to say, oh, well, Randy really gave them the cold shoulder and, you know, we only lasted 15 minutes. That's great. They need someone who's going to tell them how the public is perceiving mm-hmm. this and how, yeah. more importantly, their customers are perceiving this. Bingo. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. A couple more quick things. Number one, the skating yesterday morning, we didn't see it, but they replayed it last night on NBC. The drama of the figure skating was spectacular. Question first. Yes. The Camila Valieva yes. kid, that, and she's 15 years she old. She is a kid. Uh, she fell multiple times. She fell from uh, first to fourth. Can a 15-year-old choke in the Olympics? I think we just saw it happen. But 
do you call it a choke? Yeah, she's an athlete competing just like the rest of them. I, I agree with you. If her, I, I'm if her take age it. allows her to compete in that event, she is an athlete just like the rest of them, regardless of age. You're in that group of Olympic athletes. It's a very complicated issue and a complicated story because she is an athlete and is being treated like an adult athlete, but she's a 15-year-old kid mm-hmm. who has a lot of other adults around her probably pushing her to do things and influencing her decisions. And, you know, seeing her coach yell at her like that mm-hmm. after she fell twice yeah. and, you know, immediately before she gets off the ice, any adult human being can compartmentalize the athlete and the kid in that moment and feel badly for her. Right. I think it's might be a Russian thing, actually. True, but I'm watching it and I feel I don't absolve her decisions, no. but I feel badly for her because at 15 years old, do you have the agency to say no when all right. when your coaches right. and and your country are telling you to do something or at least strongly suggesting that you mm-hmm. do something and likely telling you it's for your benefit? Do you really have the agency or the maturity to say no? No, you don't. You don't. Now, here's the other thing. Take it or leave it. Okay. You thought it was cool when the silver medalist just went bananas and said, everybody else has one, a gold medal, and I don't. I hate you people, and I'm never going to skate for you again. I love that honesty. That was awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> She's crying, just throwing a fit. The drama. I love it. <laughs> love the drama. And one more item before we wrap up this opening segment, and that is Michelle just got back from it, as you know, from oh, a, a, a long vacation. Yeah. And uh, so she came home with bruises <laughs> on her legs. All over. All, All over. over. Didn't know how those bruises occurred. Didn't know if somebody kind of broke in while she was sleeping and <laughs> smacked her around or whatever. I was like, did I bump into things and I don't remember? What's going on? So you go to the doctor yesterday and what happened? So I went to the doctor and, you know, it was just my yearly checkup. It just so happened that I was going at this time. And my doctor was asking me if I had any health related questions. I was like, well, you know, just one. I, I just came back from this trip and I have all these bruises all over my body and they don't necessarily hurt and I don't remember violently running into things and I don't bruise super easily. Is there a reason for this? My doctor was like, okay, well, uh, how long were you gone? I was like, well, you know, I was gone since January 28th. January 28th to February 15th, I was gone a pretty significant amount of time. She's like, well, were you were you drinking on your trip? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, how much? I go, well, every day, every single day I was drinking on the trip. And she's like, well, Michelle, alcohol thins your blood. And this is literally your body telling you that you're poisoning it. It's, it's a reaction. And she gave me, you know, obviously a lot of scientific reasons why this was happening, but she's like, you were drinking for that many days in a row and you didn't, you didn't put two and two together? I'm like, no, I didn't. So, so hot tip, alcohol thins your blood. If you're going to go on an epic bender like I did, uh, you might see some bruises pop up. Uh, Matt Rocchio, your all-time record, uh, and I can't even, I, I, I've never even gotten to double digits. And I mean, for... some days it was just one cocktail, mm-hmm. but there was but... not one day. I mean, when you're there, I was at a vineyard when you're on the safari. They have what's called sundowners, where you have cocktails at, at, we get the at excuses, sunset. Michelle. I'm just saying, it, they, it was just readily available, okay? All right. Matt, have you ever done 19 days in a row? Uh, seventeen is my. If you're if, okay, if, wow. if it's just like one or two, or counting as a day, I think seventeen uh, is my best run. At, at one point, when I was much younger and, and much, much, much dumber. Okay, six five seven eight zero. Oh, what's your record? And I know there's, yeah, there's people out there in triple digits, Michelle. For sure. But if you've reached triple digits, do you have bruises? Yeah, let me know if this has ever happened to you. And 
I think my body was in shock, Randy, because I don't really drink or go out or do anything when I'm at home. You know, we watch games every night. I I work a lot. I get to bed early because we rise early. I don't do. I think my body was rejecting me. It was it was screaming 911. (laughs) So there you have it. There is the length of the MLB MLBPA (laughs) negotiating session yesterday. We're off and running on Carriker and Smallman. Coming up, we all have the same pit this week, right? About the weather? No, Sunday. Oh, yes. Actually, I have a different one. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't see that, so it doesn't really feel like it happened. Peak and Pit coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Up into the peaks or into the pit? Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Character and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN. Speaker Pitt on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle is here. Matt is here. Randy is here. Michelle, my peak of the week. I'll start with my pit of the week. It was at the Los Angeles Rams. Won Super Bowl 56. Yeah. It was, and I, by the way, people say, could you believe Kroenke holding up the trophy? I turned the game off once. Joe Burrow threw the incomplete pass on fourth down in the last minute. I turned the TV off and went upstairs. Yeah. Uh, my Peak of the week, however, was on Sunday after a Celtics victory. Our own Jason Tatum gets interviewed, and at the end of the interview, who do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? He says, St. Louis Rams. Love it. <laughs> Shout out to Jason Tatum. He's always represent. Hardly home, but always repping. Always Love that guy. thinking of St. Louis. Um, I was listening to an interview he did on, I think it was the Knuckleheads podcast, and he said he does not go anywhere without his St. Louis Cardinals cap or just an STL cap. He's like, when I go to the Olympics, it's coming with me. If I go overseas, go on vacation, travel with the team, I always have it with me. He is always repping. We should always give his stats when they play because there is no, but we don't pay enough attention to him for as much as attention as he pays to us. Yes. We don't pay enough attention to him. And he's, he's our guy and he, nobody reps our town like Jason Tatum does. And, and we, nobody. No, nobody. And we love our own. So we should, right, we yeah. should have a dedicated uh, segment every day or a dedicated feature where we just tell you something about Jason Tatum yeah. every day. Don't have to tell me twice. Here we go. So that, that, that's part I'm, of the show now. I'm in this. I'm in this. Let's go. I You're Jason Jay. Tatum minute. I love Jason yeah. Tatum. I love, there you th- go. Yeah, I'll, I'll list off some basketball stats. Let's go. Okay, Randy, so uh, I would say that my pit is the Rams winning the Super Bowl, but shout out to United for having defunct Wi-Fi because (laughs) I was flying home from South Africa at that time. I bought the Wi-Fi. I had full uh, bars, and I could not get my YouTube TV app to work in the skies. Good for you. So I did not even see it. It's almost as if it was a fever dream and it didn't happen because I didn't witness it in real time. I didn't have to see Kroenke holding up the trophy. I didn't have to see any of it. So that's not necessarily my pit. That happened to me, by the way, in the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl a few years ago. I drove Katie back to Bradley and drove home and I I left before kickoff, a half hour before kickoff. It's a three-hour drive up, a three-hour, two, and I've turned it into a two-and-a-half-hour drive up and back. (laughs) And so I didn't see a single down of that Super Bowl, and I was very proud of it. And that's similar to what you experienced. That's good. As soon as I landed, I expected there to be just an avalanche of texts because I had seen Mm. that they won. And I only got a few. Um, 
from some people I know in LA. But I texted you immediately, being like, "How's everyone handling this? Do I need to watch this?" And you're like, yeah, "Everyone's gonna be over it in a day. Yeah. Don't even waste your and time." We were. Yeah, so I didn't even have to really deal with it. I would say my pit is this weather. Anytime that ice is involved and I have to deal with winter being stupid that's a pit for me yeah. and i would say my peak is being back here with you guys you know vacation is fun but after uh two plus weeks of it you just want to be back in your routine sleep in your own bed and see your friends that you work with every day you had to start drinking a bunch just to forget the <laughs> fact that you were with not with us anymore that's right i missed you so much i had to become a booze hound <laughs> matthew what do we got on the text line a lot of these ones pit rams peak i'm going to hamilton this weekend oh okay. love hamilton it's amazing have a great time enjoy it uh my pit the rams game my peak it cost stan over six billion dollars to get that super bowl <laughs> uh, yes it did that's true hefty paycheck but you know what that. worth it all the picks worth it if you win the super bowl all worth it do you think he thinks it's worth it because yes he won yes he's victorious but i'm sure there's still a deficit financially for him this is a guy that said you don't get into this business to win trophies yeah but at the end of the day, if you're a logical owner and you did spend that money, yeah, it's maybe it's not worth it, but at least you achieved your goal. Yes. I think he's happier to see like the NFL Network studios right next to his new stadium than he is to see the Lombardi well, trophy and, in like this trophy case. Like legitimately, I think if he walks by both of those every day, he'll be happier that like he has the whole compound than some stupid trophy. I agree with that. And here's the other thing. The franchise value of the Rams will rise because they won the Super Bowl. That's oh, the most important thing for him. There you go. Absolutely. My peak is as a teacher, I got a snow day yesterday, but my pit is I have to go in for professional development today, but it's virtual. So it's not the worst pit. If it's virtual, you can do it from your couch. Has anybody ever benefited from a professional development seminar? I'm sure there's one. Uh, many times... Not an affront to people who have taught me professional development in the past. I have had bosses that were really into that sort of thing. Never learned a damn thing. In fact, I generally thought that I knew more than the people that were trying to teach me stuff. You know what I find is I will go into things like that with a notepad and a pen, be really excited to absorb yep, some yep. info, and maybe five minutes into the presentation, I have completely zoned out. Yeah. We had a guy when I first started here, and we were owned by a different company, and we had a guy... We had a, a whole company seminar. Had a guy come in and tell us, and we had maybe 120 people in the room. He said, within five years, one out of every 10 of you will be working for a company from Dubai. Wow. And I rolled my eyes. And it didn't happen. <laughs> or he's like, it's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it didn't happen. But, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and maybe I'm... I'm the only one that does this. You know how sometimes you're at church and you just zone out during the homily? You're totally. Like, you're listening. You're absorbing. You're listening to the good word, but you're like, my brain just can't focus for this long. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel at those seminars or those conferences that you go to. I'm really, really trying to focus, but at some point your brain just skips away. So have you ever sat in church? Okay, let me give you an idea. But like, shout out to me. all the preachers. Sorry, I'm, oh, li yeah. I'm listening. Apologize. Yeah, yeah, we're there. We're not saying anything, but we might Sorry, be trying to think of like the Eagles depth chart. Correct. <laughs> Those are things you, th or you think you're like, oh, wait, remember that amazing turkey sandwich I had two weeks ago? I need to go to the store after this and recreate it. Wait, can I keep giving Gainwell those red zone touches or should I make a lineup switch? Before That's another big one. Huge here. one. Yeah. Fantasy football in the fall. Totally. Yeah. And you, you cannot go to an 11 o'clock service. 
Because you can't really use your phone in church, right, to change your lineup? No, you shouldn't. I disagree. Who was the guy who said he was tweeting in church on accident? Uh, John Lynch? John Lynch, that's right. Unless you're John Lynch and you're accidentally liking anti-Jimmy Garoppolo tweets in church. Yes, people do it. I guess we would probably get some texts from people who have actually changed their fantasy football lineup in church. You could go to the restroom. Mm-hmm. Do it there. Yeah, I don't think that's an. I don't think that's a rare occurrence no. if in, in the grand scheme of football fandom these days. My daughter is still traumatized by the fact that when she was maybe five, six years old, there's a song. Well, you're Catholic, you know, the, on Eagles' wings. Oh, and he will raise you up. Yeah. So I changed Sad that songs, to be, and this is why I was. I brought no. up the Eagles. I changed it to be a Philadelphia Eagles song, and so. And they have number five, Donovan McNabb, <laughs> throwing to Terrell Owens. And their defense is very strong with Brian Dawkins. And uh, so, yeah, so I was just I was doing a Philadelphia Eagles so on Eagles wings. So this the is fact- what you do during the homily. <laughs> and Katie. You still have that many lines off the top of your head is very impressive. <laughs> How about this from the 618? That's the 04 Eagles. <laughs> yeah, it is. How about this one from the 618? Preacher here. Preacher's okay, checking good, in. Good. Uh, <laughs> Peak, you're listening during the homily pit. I can tell that you're zoned out. <laughs> so I love that the preacher's up at the pulpit and he's looking out to the crowd and he can probably look at Randy Carriker and say, he's thinking about fantasy football. Michelle's thinking about a turkey sandwich. They could probably just see oh. the glossed and vacant eyes. And I'm sorry, Father. <laughs> Wait, from the 618, I'm a minister and I have zoned out in church during service. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I love the honesty here. Yeah. You know, that's what you, that's what I've learned in mass is that you don't lie. So we're yeah, just being right. honest. Yeah. I'm printing that text off and handing it to my mother. <laughs> okay, Get our jail free card. I got to give you one other thing here. And Michelle, you spent a lot of time in New York. Matthew, have you spent much time in New York? I've never been in New York City. The New York deli turkey sandwich is like the best thing in the world. We have a deli up the street, Pumpernickels. Right on Olive in okay. Grief Court. Yeah, yeah. And they have spectacular turkey sandwiches because I love a turkey sandwich with a bunch of turkey on it. <laughs> and I think one of the most glorious moments of my life was the, the late great stage deli and getting the uh, Derek Jeter turkey sandwich that had like three pounds of turkey on it. Love it. It was one of the great moments of my life. And I've tried to replicate that sandwich on him. Well, I can't, fi- can't find enough turkey, first of all. But uh, turkey on a sourdough. Uh, on sourdough, really a lot of turkey with uh, lettuce, tomato, miracle. Great. So that's the one food thing that constantly haunts you that you can never recreate. Yeah. I have one. I was one time in Tulum and I went to a restaurant called Heartwood and I had the best, the single best dessert I've ever had in my entire life. It was almost like an olive oil cake, but it was honey and it had mm. sea salt on top. I emailed them to be like, can you, for the love of God, give me this recipe? No response. Shout out to Heartwood. I wouldn't give it to me mm. either. But I, when I'm zoned out and, and mass, I'm thinking about the this Heartwood right? honey olive oil cake. That's what I'm dreaming. <laughs> Of. So. You're dreaming of the Derek Jeter turkey sandwich. That's what I'm thinking of. So we do appreciate the honesty of the parishioners and <laughs> the ministers who have zoned out as well. Thank you. Uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's Matt. Coming up, we're going to talk some golf with our buddy Jay Delsing. Is Phil Mickelson really going to be involved with this new golf league? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to Jay Delsing in just a moment. If you haven't heard, there's a, a lot going on in golf with the, the Saudi Golf League. And Alan Shipnuck, uh, according to Phil Mickelson, 
And uh, Alan Shipnick is a media person from the Fire Pit Collective, said he, Phil, has recruited three other players to the Saudi-based golf league and that he and other players paid attorneys to construct the Super Golf League's operating agreement. So Phil Mickelson is essentially behind this new Saudi golf league, and he's already, according to him, uh, recruited three other players. And this is to put pressure on what he calls the dictatorship that is the PGA. And uh, allegedly, Phil's check for this would be north of like $100 million. So he's going to cash out. It's an interesting story, and we are joined now by Jay Delsing, uh, former PGA Tour player and host of uh, Golf with Jay Delsing on Sunday mornings here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, guys. Good morning, Michelle. Welcome back. Thanks, Jay. It's great to talk to you. Great to be back. Uh, Jay, I want to start with this. Number one, do you think that the golfers that Phil Mickelson is recruiting would be golfers that the tour would be bothered to lose? Man, Randy, talking about bothered, I'm just bothered by this entire Mickelson story. I mean, I've, I've been reading every bit of it that I can, and he's been trying to help them with the operating agreement, uh, apparently to try to get leverage, you know, with Jay Monahan, our commissioner, and the PGA Tour. I don't know what to make of it. I, I cannot imagine. I, I've heard rumors that Phil has money issues and things like that, which is so hard to imagine because he's made so much money. But I, I, I don't think anybody's going to go. I mean, the only one that really is interesting to me is Lee Westwood because he signed an NDA. Mm-hmm. So this non-disclosure means that he's got something that he can't talk about. But I, I just don't see um, – see how this is going to play out well for those players. I mean, let's say you get three players and, and pick, say, Lee Westwood and, and Phil Mickelson and, um, and you know, pick one. Bryce DeChambeau has been rumored, but I don't think there's a chance he would do it. What do you do with those three? And what have you accomplished by having those three? And so you paid them a king's ransom, and that's a, a pun intended. And mm-hmm. what, what do you do? What do you do then? I mean, what have you accomplished? Right. That's if you have four guys. Right. Oh, you got four guys. What are you going to do? I mean, hey, okay, we'll we'll have a little pickup thing here, and you guys play you guys this week and next week. I mean, no one's going to be interested in that. Well, Jay, Phil said that the reason he's even considering this is because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. To so just break it down for us and our listeners, why do golfers want to reshape how the PGA Tour operates? Well, it's interesting, Michelle, because not all golfers do. But here's what Phil's bitching about. First of all, he says that the PGA has this obnoxious greed because the tour owns the rights to his images and likenesses. Well, guess what, Phil? Every league, every Major League Baseball owns the images and likenesses of Mike Trout and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and all the young stars are coming out. And for that matter, anybody that plays in the game. Could you imagine the NBA not owning the rights? for LeBron James or Michael Jordan, and so Game 7 or Game 1 or whenever they're going to play comes on, you would not be allowed to watch that game because you do not have the right to watch Michael Jordan play. If a league doesn't own the rights to their players, there's no league because this is how infrastructure is created. This is how organizations are built and founded. I mean, it's interesting, you guys. I did some research on this. Back um, in the 60s and 70s, when Howard Hughes was the richest man in the world, he was a lover of golf and trying to build 
the, the current Las Vegas as it, as we know it now. And he loved the game of golf. And he went to Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and said, I want to do this. And I'm going to have these tournaments here. We'll play for a million dollars a year. The tour was playing for between a hundred thousand dollars and $200,000 a tournament total person. He said he would bump it up five, 10 times that. And both Jack and Arnold Palmer said they wouldn't play because they thought it would be bad for the game. Wow. So Jay, from your perspective, what if the tour would say to these guys who would break away from the tour and go to the, the Saudi tour? What if the, the PGA tour would say, fine, but you aren't coming back and playing in any of our events for the rest of your life? Right. Well, that's the threat, Randy. That's what uh, my, our commissioner said, that you, you will, you, there is a lifetime ban on the table if you, do, if you jump. And it's, it's an interesting thing. So I went in and read some of the um, legal aspects of what this looks like, because, you know, this would be uh, in the in the courtrooms before you know it. And the, it's, it's weird because we are always been called independent contractors. And just the word independent kind of threw me there, because it seems like you should be able to, you know, run to where there is competition and not be penalized. And um, it's it's not the case because of. Well, at least they do not believe it's the case because of the things that we signed. Guys, when I first got my card, and it's been 100 years ago, but 1984, I'll never forget the orientation process. It was, I signed more stuff than I did when I bought my first house. Wow. You know, and I was so exhausted from six rounds of the tour school and also so excited about becoming a member of the PGA Tour. I, was, I would have signed anything, and I did. But no, none of us had any sense for what that actually meant. And so Phil's, Phil's just ticked off now because he can't do what he wants with some of the remarkable shots that he's hit in his life, you know, because now there's these um, NFTs that you could put together a video clip, a minute video clip. Let's say that, remember the shot that Phil Mickelson hit on the 13th at Augusta when he's right behind the tree and he bent it around the tree and hit it to about four feet. Someone would buy that guy for millions of dollars right now. And Phil's pissed because he doesn't have the right to mm-hmm. do that. Well, Jay, it's it's not just Phil. I was reading Tiger Woods' comments on this situation, and, you know, you're talking about Tiger and Phil, arguably the two biggest names in golf, and he was talking about how media rights are a really big thing and that players are concerned about not having the amount of control that they want over that. So if you're the PGA, even though you're dug in to your position, if Tiger and Phil are the two voices that are countering what's the status quo right now, I guess you have to listen, right? You do, Michelle, and and that's where there's a chance that there is good that can come out of this, Be, because you get Tiger involved. And I read what Tiger said, and and I think that the the gripe that Tiger would have is not that he doesn't own it; it's just how his stuff gets used, you know. And as you get when well, when you're a young man, and you know, I, I could tell you first of all, if Tiger Woods was coming out as a as a young player now. He wouldn't be even remotely interested in this Saudi tour, and I don't think he is uh, one bit because Tiger came out with one thing in mind, and he wanted to rewrite the record books. He wasn't driven by money. He wasn't driven by anything other than winning. And now, as he's aged, he's 45 years old, he's got an opportunity to sit down and, 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 and probably influence the PGA Tour more than anyone ever has in the history of the game. And this, and, and so this is the different ways that these two guys go about things. Tiger's more private 
and Phil's going to blow it up and, and, and blow his horn as loud as he can to try to get as much attention as he can. Uh, a couple more quick things for Jay Delsing. Number one, I don't know if you heard earlier, but Michelle drank for 19 days in a row. <laughs> caused a lot of bruises. Congratulations. Thanks, yeah. Jay. Thanks, Jay. It was a prolific run for me. <laughs> but she could make her way to Wild Crush, and there's yeah. word out there. It's not official, but the red wine is good for the heart. So if you make your way over to Wild Crush in St. Louis County every day, for a glass of red wine, it can't be bad for you. No, we can probably dig up some literature too. You can dig up anything on the on the internet these days, you guys. But sure, we could come over just a nice glass of that Pinot Noir that I gave you last time you were there, Michelle. You'll be good to go. It was delicious. Part of my rehab is going to be red wine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, golf with Jay Delsing Sunday morning here on 101 ESPN. Who are we talking about? Who are you talking to? Randy, I think you may know Maria Palazzola. She yes. Be on the show. She is an absolute golf warrior in a lot of different ways. She is she is helping people with their game. She's got um, uh, stlouisgolflessons.com, and she does the forces on the fairway where she has lost a family member to suicide that was a, a, a Marine, and so she does some great, great stuff locally for the game of golf. All right, we're looking forward to that at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, and we always like talking to you, Jay. Thanks, and have a great weekend. Yeah, you guys too. Thank you. you. That's our buddy Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a quick take it or leave it before David Perron joins us at 8 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. The Air Service Comfort text line is open. 65780, Michelle and Randy. And Take It or Leave It, and Michelle, obviously... Huge controversy yesterday during the fight yes. when the question was asked, who's the Blues' all-time leader in penalty minutes? And, of course, it's Brian Sutter. And that got me thinking yesterday as I was driving around, and I think weird thoughts, as you know, when I'm <laughs> yeah. driving around. Yes. And I was thinking, okay, Tiger Williams, I knew he was the all-time leader in penalty minutes. Okay. He's got 406 more penalty minutes than the number two guy, Dale Hunter, for a career. Right now, the active leader in penalty minutes is Dano Chara, 44 years old. He's played 24 years. Okay. And he's in 50th place on the all-time penalty minute list. The 50th. number 50th with uh, 2,068, which is about half of Tiger Williams. And the number two active player on the penalty minute list is ranked number 100 for his career. That's Cody McLeod, who's played 12 years. So take it or leave it, Tiger Williams, with a 406-minute lead over number two Dale Hunter, has a record in sports that will never be broken. I will take that. Nobody will ever surpass Tiger Williams' 3,971 NHL penalty minutes. Nobody. That is prolific. It's unbelievable. And he got to fight every game. That Chara, though, is 50th on he, that list? He's the active leader, and he's 50th. And the number two active player is 100th on the all-time list. Well, I guess with less fighting and 
and things like that in the NHL. Mm -hmm. You know, the penalty minutes are going to naturally dissipate. But gosh, to think that he's so far down the list that he's number 50 is really telling about how the game has changed. And Craig Berube is seventh all-time, 3,149 penalty minutes in his career. Shout out to Chief. Yeah. Talk about a record that has literally been made impossible by the rules. With the instigator, it's literally... I think like point. mathematically impossible for a guy to ever reach that number again. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. All right, guys. Anthony Davis, he's out for at least four weeks after an MRI showed that he has a mid-foot sprain. Take it or leave it. Although vicious, the Charles Barkley uh, nickname for him, street clothes, is very appropriate. I will 100% take that. He's going to have to buy some new street clothes because he's spending so much time on the sidelines wearing them. I feel so badly that his nickname is street clothes, but it is so appropriate. So appropriate. So, Michelle, to along those lines, then take it or leave it, the Lakers, who right now are in the number nine seed in the West, take it or leave it, the Lakers miss the playoffs. And I can give you a number here. You know what, with AD out for four weeks, yep, you might have to take that. They're in ninth place and they're four and a half games ahead of San Antonio and New Orleans. Both of those teams are four and a half games behind. San Antonio has been playing better since the trade trade deadline, and they have pops. Yeah. I'm going to take it, too. They gave up somebody, and so do the Trailblazers, who are in 10th right now. And and I don't know if Zion's coming back. Yeah. I think the Lakers... Portland traded McCollum, and they've won four in a row. If Anthony Davis is healthy when the play-in tournament rolls in, that, you know, that 9-10 play-in tournament whole deal then they'll win that little playing tournament and they'll get in that thing. So technically, all they have to do is just be the 10th seed, 10th seed. and have a healthy yeah. Anthony Davis coming off the foot, and they'll be it. That's what you'd think. You'd think, but again, what happens after the foot? That's right. always the question. What do we have on the text line, 65780? Back to the game of hockey. Take it or leave it. The game is made for skilled sissies now. Hoso was ran into twice last night and no retribution. I'm going to leave that. Skilled sissies? I'm leaving that. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, call all of the hockey players skilled sissies. No. But they're all skilled. I wouldn't call any of them sissies. Anyone still give, tough. Anyone want to give this guy Ryan Reeves' number and see what, see what he says? <laughs> right. Take it or leave it. MLB's needs a serious wake-up call. Yeah, I'll take that. M- what was it? MLB. MLB. Ne- yeah, they, but they're not going to get it. But they need it. They they are a collective group of people that cannot read the room Bingo. more than maybe any collective group of people. Well, maybe they're our government, but anyone else in the country. Right. It's really, really shocking. Yeah, they don't understand that they are they still think they're America's favorite pastime. They really do. How? Don't, don't they have the numbers? They How can they look at the number of people that watch NFL games and possibly justify that to themselves? Maybe it's because TV networks keep coming to them and throwing more money at them for their playoffs. But yes, they might be generating a lot of revenue and sure you can say we're a thriving industry if you're looking strictly at that, but I mean, we look at our ratings. We could never justify that we're the number one show if we have another show that has higher ratings than us. We could never say that. In 25 years, I could see baseball just not being a thing at all. That is hard to swallow. Think about 12-year-olds, though. But but didn't we say that about the NFL? Look at all the concussion issues. So many parents aren't putting their kids in peewee. Right, but we were saying that as far as the health of the sport, there's not going to be as much talent that gets infiltrated into the NFL because those kids, those skilled athletes, aren't going to be playing football when they're younger. And look at the NFL. But here's the thing. You're always going to have the player... That is that has football as a ticket out of a bad situation. You're always going to have Texas. You're always going to have Pennsylvania. You're always going to have Florida. You're always going to have 
Pahokee, Florida, right? Louisiana. Yeah. You're always going to have those states turning out football players. California. Right. But with baseball, where is where are you going to find the group of 12-year-olds today that when they're 37 like the game? Well, that's part of a greater conversation because it is harder, too, now with baseball because it's so specialized. Yeah. And it's they have all these traveling teams. It's it's much more difficult for you in any sort of environment to just pick up baseball and be good at it. There's not really the Sandlot games going on anymore. No, I got a text from a friend last night said that he was texting with a friend and he said the only way he got his 12-year-old kid to sign up for baseball was to watch the Sandlot. He said he didn't want to play until then. And when's the last time there's been a kid's baseball movie made? Shout out to Benny the Jet Rodriguez, though. Right. My he, first crush ever. Solid. Love him. Really solid. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, David Braun will join us and we'll talk some blues hockey on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Karate scores on 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we go north of the border where Blues winger David Perron is standing by for his weekly visit with uh, us. David, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. We're uh other than being stuck in Montreal, we we got snowed in last night, so we're stuck here. Um, we're flying in like in a bit here, so a little bit of a different morning, but uh, we're just, just adjusting on the fly. Okay, good. You, you guys adjust well. Hey, I want to start with this, and we'll get into the blues, but a couple of days ago, Yarmir Yager achieved a lifelong dream of playing at the age of 50. He's playing in the Czech League. You're a guy in your 30s. What do you think of Yager playing at the age of 50? That's wild. Uh, I don't know how he's, uh, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a different level over there, the, the level he's playing in right now, but still it's, it's incredible that he still has uh, obviously the energy and, and the will to train to, to get his body ready to, to play professional hockey. I mean, I imagine myself being uh, around hockey uh, when I'm 50 in some capacity, but uh, definitely not as a hockey player at that time. <laughs> David, I know that you want to play as long as possible. And as you've grown in your career, what shifted from maybe a training perspective or a regiment perspective uh, as opposed to when you were 19, first getting in the league? Just physically, yeah. how have you had to adjust? No, it's just the preparation. I think the warm-up uh, increases uh, by 10, 15 minutes almost like every couple of years just uh, I feel like I got to get the rink uh, earlier, get my body ready. Yeah, just mentally, also, also being uh, uh, aware that a lot of times coaches are looking at you to to set the tone in practice and, and make sure that there's never a day, uh, regardless of what happened the night before, uh, that you that you slack or whatever. So. Um, just little things like that, but I do enjoy that process for sure. Hey, David, I'm going to ask you a broad question, and you can go where, with it wherever you want. But what happened last night? Um, yeah, well, I, we obviously thought we we snuck away with that one. Uh, when Bucci scored, it was a heck of a shot by him. Great pass by Vladdy. And um, I, I, I actually think their play on the um, uh, extra attacker was a little bit lucky. I think 
the, the pass that went to the backdoor guy kind of went off one of our sticks and it kind of was a perfect storm. It ended up on the, right on the tape to do an empty net. So, um, and then from that point on, it's three on three, it's overtime and, uh, anything can happen, uh, I would say, but, uh, definitely, uh, Stung a little bit to to lose an extra point for us. Those are points that uh, that we need at the end of the year. So uh, we're looking forward to the game tomorrow. Now, David, it's it's still weird for us, I think, to look at Bell Center and have it be cavernous without fans because we have so many fans here yeah. at Enterprise Center. And I know that's been something that's been challenging for your team in the past to try to to really get up energy wise and environments that like that. Is that still something that your team is looking at as a challenge, or have you gotten used to it by now? I mean, a little bit of both. I think we've gotten used to it. And I, I also think that here the, the players talking to Joel Edmondson, a couple of those, those guys, they're, they're aware that finally it's going to be over soon. They're going to be able to, to have fans uh, in a couple of weeks. And, um, I mean, for me, my opinion on this, I guess, is that uh, you see the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, a couple of weeks ago we're at the Chiefs game. Uh, during our break, there's 70,000 people in there. Uh, I don't know. It's not really about. Uh, it doesn't make sense anymore. I think it's time to, to start living with this thing. And uh, um, there's vaccines. Everything is available for people. So um, it is what it is. But I, I, I definitely think the people here talking to my family. They're a little bit uh, tired of, of going through this, and they're looking forward to the next couple of weeks when things uh, open up for good again. David Perron with us on 101 ESPN. And, David, we've talked before about the parity in this league and especially the parity in this conference. After Colorado, you've got 11 teams separated by 11 points. What sort of intensity level do you guys feel like you have to have on a night-to-night basis? Because we sit here as fans, and uh, we're we're reactionary. You guys lose a game last night, and we think the sky is falling. So how do you handle things on a day-to-day basis? Oh, that's the best. Like for us, that's managing the, our emotions uh, as players, as, as a team, uh, with what happens uh, throughout the week, throughout the days, and uh, that's why we play. We we have to enjoy the process, and you have to love it when it's not going as well. Too, you have to find a way to get out of it. And uh, it's the same when uh, if if we ever have, uh, we have a losing streak as a team. So um, I, I just think we go day by day, and we're looking forward to the next team playing a really good uh, team in Toronto. David, you mentioned your family, and I want to go back to that. You grew up not far from Montreal. Were you able to see your family while you were in town? Uh, yeah, yeah. We had practice a couple of days ago, and that was uh, um, one of my friends uh, picked me up and uh, kind of drove me back to my uh, my residence where I live in the summer. And my parents um, came came to see me there, and then we had dinner at a restaurant before I came back in town uh, the, the same night. Really, it's like an hour and ten minutes away. Uh, but it was definitely great to uh, to get to see them, get to see uh, my house, everything, kind of the winter uh, surrounding uh, with the snow and everything. I don't get to see that too often, so it was fun. That's awesome. And I know you also grew up a Canadiens fan, so it has to be special for you to be able to play at Bell Center. Yeah, yeah definitely a little bit different uh, with no fans. I, I don't think you, you kind of get the nerves the same way that uh, usually when you have uh, maybe – a hundred people coming to see me play, uh, but in a, in a way, I think uh, it's always special for me to even even practicing on that on that ice and all that. Growing up, uh, watching this team a lot, so uh, definitely a special 
feeling every single time I can uh, get a chance to, to play in Montreal. As David Perron mentioned, the Blues delayed by a snowstorm last night in Montreal waiting to go to Toronto. Do you have a memorable story of a team being snowed in or delayed by a storm? Um, I think there's only another time that, that it happened that I remember. I was with the uh, Anaheim Ducks and we were in Washington and uh, kind of got snowed in, canceled the game and everything. Uh, this was, I guess, uh, a good timing in a, in a way because uh, it's not like uh, it mattered if we stayed here or we went to Toronto. Uh, we can just go to Toronto here in a bit and then we'll be just fine for the game tomorrow. So um, I think it, it just happened in a way in a good timing and uh, we just stayed in. It was an easy transition. What did you guys do on the train trip the other night? Played cards. Uh, it's always the same Three, four guys that I play with, with uh, Thomas, Bozak, and, and Falk. And we play this game yeah, called Euchre. Um, it's kind of a two-on-two game. Uh, so it's just always fun, I think, after games at times. Whether you have a good or bad performance, it's, it's time to turn the page. And uh, I, I feel like just kind of playing games, kind of getting after it with two-on-two, uh, two, a couple of buddies, it's always fun. Okay, out of that crew, who's the best Euchre player? Well, I'd, I can't go against my uh, my partner uh, Falker. I think he's uh, I think he's pretty smart. Uh, I mean, I, I I think eventually you, you all get the game, and it it turns out to be uh, you win one, you lose one, and uh, there's not much uh, money that goes around. It's more for the fun of it and, and kind of passing the time. The flights when you fly for like two or three hours, uh, it feels like a thirty minute flight when you play cards, and then we, when you don't do anything, it, you kind of feel the length of the, the travel, so that's kind of another reason why we play. A couple more quick things for David Braun. Number one, you mentioned that you play cards with Robert Thomas, and David, we had the good pleasure of watching you evolve from an 18-year-old into uh, the, the man you are today, but it was fun to watch you evolve as a player in those first three or four years. Yeah. How much fun is it for you to watch Robert Thomas's game evolve like it has? Yeah, no, uh, it's great. Uh, definitely, we we could see flashes of it in, in years past. Uh, his cutbacks in the corner when the uh, other team's uh, defenders couldn't couldn't really stay with him, and uh, it's almost like he's taken that to another level. He, I think he's finding guys more than ever in open spots uh, in, in the slot, and uh, he's had success so far this year. We and we need we need that to keep going. We need. I, I also think his defensive game uh, has taken another level. He's, he's taken more pride in it, and I think he's he's still got uh, more levels to go, which is, um, I think, a really good sign for, for if I'm a fan of uh, the Blues and as a teammate, it's great to see. And then the last thing, during the bubble, first half of last year, when you guys didn't play with fans, we, we talked about the, the energy that the Blues get from fans, home or road. You'll have apparently 50% in Toronto tomorrow night. How much of a difference do you think that makes for your team, even if you're on the road, having fans in the stands? Yeah, well, I think in years past, we were definitely a team that's uh, enjoyed going on the road and, and kind of shutting buildings down. The way we were playing, it was always... Uh, kind of a way that we could take the energy of the crowd away. So it's going to be interesting. Make up for our teams a little bit different this year, but uh, I think it's always a great challenge for our group to go on the road and play in front of fans and obviously a really good team in Toronto and, and, and find a way to get two points. This is kind of the time where we start building our game in the right direction uh, for the playoffs, kind of building the right habits and all that stuff. So um, it's going to be a, a fun and uh, challenge that uh, I think the boys are, are willing to take on. 
We're looking forward to tomorrow, and we always enjoy talking to you, David Braun. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. You bet. See you later. That is David Perron on 101 ESPN. He is terrific in the Blues at Toronto tomorrow night. 5 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to them getting back home. That will be nice. I'm sure that they will like getting down across the border again and being able to play before a full house. Absolutely. And, and like he said, it's it's kind of weird to have the two countries be so disparate in the way they're treating professional sports. And you would think that, yeah, I don't know, that's just so frustrating to hear him talk about his family. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's been difficult for him to travel there to see them. It was nice probably that he got to spend time with his parents and, and some of his buddies. But it's got to be hard for these players. 812 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Our weekly visit with Joey Vitale is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Michelle Smallman back from her trip in which she drank for 19 consecutive days. <laughs> is, that, is that the way we're going to bill it now? Not. Well, I was in South Africa yes. for a wedding, went on a safari. I share one time with you that I drank every single day I was gone, and now I'm a booze hound. Well, when we're introducing Joey Vitale into the conversation, <laughs> we have to bring this up. Joey V is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up, <laughs> Randy. Doing great. Let's, uh, let's dive into this a little bit. All right, Joey. Let's go. What do you want to know? <laughs> I don't know how your trip was. <laughs> it was uh, fuzzy. No, I'm kidding. It was great. I, I actually thought about you, Joey, because I went on a safari, and you're someone that always brings knowledge. You love a fun fact. You absorb things. You're curious. And going on a safari, I learned so many things about animals that I didn't know, and I thought about you, and I think that's a trip you'd really enjoy. Oh, my gosh. That's something I want to do um, very badly, actually. And I think that, you know, I, I coach a squirt team, did you see any African wild dogs just by chance? Uh, I did not. We saw wildebeests. We saw hyenas, things of that nature, but not African wild dogs. Okay. Yeah, that's that's our team nickname for the Squirt Kirkwood Stars, the <laughs> A2 African wild dogs. That That's an animal I'm really intrigued by because of, you know, a lot of people, you know, you think of the safari, you think of the jungle, you think of these the lions and you think of, you know, whether it be the tigers or these, these top of the food chain type of animals and the strength and the power, the size of the elephant, you know, the height of a giraffe, right? The, the mass of a hippo. And everyone always forgets about the African wild dogs, Michelle. And I, and I suggest you do some, you do some, um, spend some time looking at how efficient they are. They are maybe the most efficient animal in the entire safari. Like watch, mm. they have these, they have these drones where they actually have this overhead view of how they hunt and it's all in a pack and it's all, it's all, they disperse differently and they're all, all for one, one for all type. They share in the feast and much like the hyenas, they're, uh, they're kind of one of those undercover animals that, that really kind of can jolt you about how, how awesome they are in, in the wild and how they've, how they've been able to, to survive. But what was, what was the, your favorite animal throughout the whole trip? Well, it was insane to me to be within an arm's length of a lion, of a male lion, obviously very intense. But we saw 
a male and a female lion mating, and I learned a lot of information about that. I didn't know that it only lasted 15 to 30 seconds and that they do it up to 70 times a day and that the way a male lion becomes the king of the African bush or of the jungle is by killing other lions. It's by killing baby lions and then taking the woman and having her having, her have his babies. It's simple. It's simple, Michelle. You're 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 well educated in the lion department now, but you're absolutely right. Male male lions. Okay, this is interesting. Male lions. They have two jobs. Just just I mean, literally just two jobs, right? They their number one goal is to basically protect their pride, right? That's 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 their number one goal, and mm-hmm. then eat. They they eat and they protect their pride. That that's it, right? But Joey, seventy now, times a day. It's only like 15 right. to 30 seconds. It's Patino. But they're sleeping 20 hours a day, Randy. If you and me, yeah. I, I, listen, if I was sleeping 20 hours a day, I, I would have the energy to do that that much. I mean, for sure. Especially when you when you can only go that long. I mean, we all, yeah. You know, anyway, I'm not going to go twice that I'm sleeping 20 hours a day. Oh, man. This is taking a left. <laughs> but, but lions, you're right. Between eating and protecting, protecting the pride. Now, part of the protecting of the pride thing, right? Sleeping, eating, protecting pride. Um, when the other males grow up, right, uh, that's when male lions have a job, okay? So they're wanderers. They got to take over pride. Now, in order to take over pride, what do you have to do? You have to take over the king of that pride. So you have to fight and challenge challenge the king of the pride, okay? So let's say that, Randy, you're in charge of the one-on-one pride, right? Mm-hmm, and right. I'm and I'm and I'm strutting around. I'm a young buck. I'm I'm a two year old, but I'm getting fierce. And I got like that that young energy and, and vinegar in me. And I'm like, you know what? I like that one on one pride. I want a piece of that action. And I I know I have to take down Randy. You don't got to take down all the lions. I just got to take down you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and everyone else can just kind of hang out and watch the battle happen. Okay. Now let's say I take you over, and then this is true. And Michelle saw this firsthand. I take you over. What's the first thing I have to do? I have to go around and look at every all the one-on-one employees, and I got to basically snap the, all their kids' necks, right? I, I, I got to kill them, unfortunately, nice. and I know it sounds a little gruesome. That's what they got to do. When, when a lion takes over a pride, he doesn't want any offspring to to continue of the lion. He just because his fear is, and this is true, the fear of the lion is that those cubs are going to grow up and they're going to take vengeance back on basically the Mufasa who killed who killed my dad and that's why there are videos it, it is gruesome and it is it is gross but it is nature of these lions literally going around grabbing these little cubs and these female lions can't do anything about it they grab them by the neck and they just shake them once so their whole neck snaps and their bodies just go completely limp like limp that's it done life over and that's uh that's nature, man. Michelle, I'm, I'm really I'm really jealous you got to see that firsthand. Yeah, I got some videos I'll send you, Joey. One more animal fact, but I'm going to tie it into the blues here. An animal that I was fascinated by was the rhino. Very dense. They have that horn. They can get into mortal combat mode when need be. And I was thinking the blues could use a rhino on their team. They could use a little size, a little density, a little of that sandpaper that the rhino brings. Do you think that there's any rhinos out there that the blues could acquire? Ah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. You know what I mean? I from from a sandpaper standpoint, you know, I think yeah. Look at Zdeno Chara. He seems to be a guy that that could bring that kind of grit and grime that I think that this team could use a little bit here and there. You know, but I, I again, my my defenseman is always going to be kind of that Jacob Chikrin, uh, that 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 type of player. And I know that's wishful thinking. Uh, it's going to take a lot to get that done. But I do believe with Bill Armstrong, who's the GM in Arizona, who knows our assets so well. To me, that's kind of one of those match made in, in heavens. Uh, Lindholm for Anaheim, 
could be another player that can kind of get in there. Uh, but listen, the uh, the rhinoceros type of players, they're just few and far in between nowadays. It's, it's, it's a shame to some, some ways, but it's also kind of cool. I mean, look, you got the, uh, the gazelles like Cole Caulfield last night, and, and that's fun too. Uh, peaceful grazers, not so big, but they got to bring that skill to the game. We saw it firsthand last night as the Montreal Canadiens took down the St. Louis Blues. Uh, but then the Tom Wilsons, the rhinoceroses of the game, uh, they are few and far between. It's hard to, it's hard to strike that balance of bringing that, that size and that grit and that energy, but also being skilled enough to kind of uh, participate in that game. But uh, unfortunately, in the last night's game, they could have used a little bit of that. That game last night, it, it kind of reminded me of the time I, I went to sit down and watch all four episodes or four shows of the – that. you ever guys watch that Lord of the Rings? That Lord of the Rings? Do you ever watch all those? Oh, miserable. Absolutely. I have not seen them. Mis- Never done Oh, Miz, don't even waste your time. <laughs> I, I got all four of them. So, okay, I'm going I'm to see what this is about. Kind of like the Harry Potter thing. Like, okay, let's see what this is about. I sat through Lord of the Rings. The first one ended. This young, um, this young Munchkin guy didn't even get close to the mountain he needed to get to. I'm like, I'll watch the second one. Second one, he just runs into all kinds of more problems. And then the third one continues. I'm like, is he going to get there yet? Like, when is this freaking Munchkin going to get to this stupid volcano where he can throw this ring? And I, I was like, okay, well, I got the fourth one. And he finally gets it. And it's the end. It's like, it's over. It's like, this? That's over? That, 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 I, wait, I literally wasted my whole day. And, and in some ways, that's kind of how I looked at the game last night. <laughs> You guys said during the pregame show, this is a game that you have to get two points. And I didn't get to hear the postgame show, but what are you thinking when the Blues only get one out of a game where they had to get two? Well, you're, you're grateful they get one because it's such a tight uh, central central division race. So I mean, maybe, maybe that point becomes very valuable, which I'm sure it will, you know, come the end of April when this Blues team has some to face some pretty big central division matchups, especially, you know, in Colorado and, you know, in Vegas is another one. Uh, at home ice could be a huge matchup where they're going to scratch and claw for a couple points. So point is great. And at the same time, it's a team that, that could be had. And I think the Blues just kind of got lulled into sleep. Uh, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, Randy, I, I, think, I think player first, broadcaster second. I'm still kind of in that, my, that mind frame where you're looking at the Bell Center and you ask any Blues player on that bench, give me your top five places to play an away game. I, I don't think there would be one player on that entire bench that would, that would keep the Bell Center out of their top five. I mean, that, that is the energy and the velocity of, of that building with the fans on top of you. The, the, the risers and the stairs are so steep. They're definitely not OSHA. Definitely not OSHA uh, requires <laughs> seven risers. I'm telling you right now, it, it's crazy what they get away with in Canada. But the fans are on top of you. It's loud. Uh, the YouTube and the, the playing before the game. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's quite, quite amazing. And then to see and look around and no fans, empty buildings, all just red seats. It's no question why I think the Blues just kind of got lulled in the sleep. They tried to play physical. It just didn't really work. And unfortunately, with that Buchnevich goal at the end, you thought you were going to ride into the sunset and have a good trip to Toronto with four, four out of four points. But unfortunately, um, one misstep in the last 10 seconds of the game, Cole Caulfield gets on the board, and of course he finishes it off in overtime. It's a bummer. It's disappointing. You do grab one. you got a great opportunity tomorrow night against the mighty Toronto Maple Leafs to still make this a five out of six point a week, which would be terrific. Joey, as you know, Carriker and Smallman have the BLIS, the best listeners in sports. This text from the 618, we already have Rhino Riley. <laughs> Whoa, I like what he did there. I like what he did there. You know, you know, God was great with the Rhino. You know, he, he created all these animals, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, me, I always say that, you know, you, you can tell God had a sense of humor because he created the hippopotamus. Because those those poor guys got nothing, right? But right. but at least he gave a chance to the rhino, or said, you know what, you're basically a hippo, which was kind of a joke. Um, but we have to give you some some line of defense, so we're going to stick a big old horn on your head. So I I, I, I actually got to give a little kudos to him. 
Joey, actually, hippos, very mean and very dangerous and scary when provoked. Oh, they're nasty. Yeah. And, and we, when, you get, when you get a whole blow to them uh, coming your way, you better run. Bloat, bloat is basically a herd. That, that's what I learned the other day. I, I was doing some hippopotamus researching the other day. And I was like, is it a flock? Is it a pride? What is it when a bunch of hippos are coming at you? Yeah. Believe it or not, it's a bloat, B-O-B-L-O-A-T, which I would imagine has some similarities when you eat a lot of food. You feel kind of bloated like a hippo. Joey, you always provide great information and great fun for us. We appreciate it. Hey, you guys have a great weekend. I'm looking forward to catching up some blues hockey with Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night. Fans, tune in, watch it. It's going to be it's going to be a beauty. Some of the best players in the world will be on the ice in that one. All right, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. That is Joey V. Joe Vitale on 101 ESPN. By the way, the honey badger is a pretty prolific little animal too. It's, very, they're tough. Very tough. That's why Tyron Matthew got the nickname. Yeah, I don't know that I would want to. Well, I do know that I wouldn't want to take one on. But leave it to Joe Vitale. I, I actually went on safari and gathered all of this information, and he still knows more about He's animals than I do. He's the best. That's he is Joey the best. V. He's underestimating the hippopotamus, though. Saying they got nothing going for him. He's underestimating. That could be that could be rough, Joey. Watch your back. <laughs> Coming up next, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's time for the Friday edition of The Fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 835 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. If you weren't listening yesterday, we had a bit of a controversy. Zach, who is joining us again today, got all four correct. Randy got two correct. But then after the fight, we realized that one of the answers was incorrect. And had we scored the fight correctly, Zach would have gotten three correct and Randy would have gotten three correct, which would have sent us to the tiebreaker round. But because that didn't happen, we're saying the tie goes to the listener. Zach is back again today to challenge his title. Good morning, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing well, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How do you feel knowing that there was controversy swirling around yesterday's fight? You know, I was really happy when you said four, uh, <laughs> but now I'm really scared because I know Randy's not happy. True. So- I can confirm he was not pleased after the fight yesterday, but don't worry, Zach, we got your back. We're cheering for you, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, question number one for you. Which Texas Ranger flew out to left field and Alan Craig to end the 2011 World Series? Was it David Murphy, Mike Napoli, or Nelson Cruz? Oh, God. I should know this. Nelson Cruz? Final answer? Yes. We always remember the Alan Craig part of it, not who was on the other end of the ball. (laughs) Exactly. What was the last Olympics that the United States men's hockey team medaled? Was it 2014 in Sochi, 2018 in Pyeongchang, or 2010 in Vancouver? uh, 2000. I know they did 10. Oh, God, did they do 14? Now I'm going to go 2010 in Vancouver. All right. Question number three for you, Zach. Other than Buster Posey, who is the only player to win Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year? This award started in 2005, by the way, multiple times. So, again, 
Keep in mind, it started in 2005. I'll read it again. Other than Buster Posey, who is the only player to win Major League Baseball's Comeback Player of the Year multiple times. Is it Francisco Liriano, Chris Carpenter, or David Price? Uh, we'll go David Price. And what team originally drafted DeMar DeRozan? Who just broke Will Chamberlain's record. Options? San Antonio Spurs, no Toronto Raptors, or the Chicago Bulls? Oh, well. We'll do... Uh, let's do Raptors. Okay. That was option one, right? It was option two. It was the San Antonio okay. Spurs, the Toronto Raptors, and the Chicago Bulls. Right. My yeah, we'll do, we'll do the Raptors. All right, cool. We're checking our score here. Yep. Waving in Randy. He's patiently waiting outside. Zach, how you feel? Better, better or worse than yesterday? Worse. Worse. Well, yesterday you didn't have a lot of confidence, and you should have. Yeah, that's true. But I know Randy's not happy. So he's actually plugging in his machine right now. That plays the Al Davis just win. Just so you yeah, know, he's calling. As much. He's calling a shot a little bit, just in case, yeah. as he likes to say, just in case. Uh, Randy's getting his headset on. Randy, please say good morning again to Zach. You remember him yesterday? Controversy in the fight, but he did win. Zach, good morning. Great to have you with us. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? Good. So our show has been on the air. Let's see, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, January. So we've been on the air for about 19 months, and that's the first time ever that we got a text that said justice for Randy. It's never happened before. First time. Yeah. I'm happy to be your first. <laughs> you never forget your first, Randy. But we were surprised. Lots of justice for Randy. It's, it doesn't happen. It never happens. Justice for Zach, sure. Justice for any listener, yes. There's never been a justice for Michelle either. Don't worry. All right, Randy, are you ready to go? Ready. Question number one. Which Texas Ranger flew out to left field and to Alan Craig to end the 2011 World Series? Uh, let's see. Left-handed hitter. I don't think it was Hamilton, though. I'm going to go with Ian Kinsler, I believe. I think I'll go with Ian Kinsler. What was the last Olympics that the United States medaled in men's hockey? Lost to Canada, and that was the one where Crosby scored the game winner in the gold medal game, and I think it was two Olympics ago. So this is 2022, 20, uh, so four years ago, 20, I'll go 2014, 14, 18, I'll, I'll go 2014. Other than Buster Posey. Who was the only player to win Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year multiple times? And this award, by the way, started in 2005. Comeback Player of the Year two times. Multiple times. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I will do the lifeline here just in case. Is it Francisco Liriano, Chris Carpenter, or David Price? Chris Carpenter came to mind because... He obviously came back. When did the award start again? 05. So, uh, let's see. He got hurt in 04, but I don't think that he would have been a comeback player of the year. Although people get a, get the award for coming back from nothing. <laughs> so, because of that, I'm not going to go with Chris Carpenter. So, that leaves me Liriano, and who is the other guy? David Price. Okay. I'll... I'll go with David Price. The other night, DeMar DeRozan capped off a run that broke a Wilt Chamberlain record. 
What team originally drafted DeMar DeRozan? DeMar DeRozan. Oh, he was great with Toronto. Uh, he was great with San Antonio. He's, but I believe he started with Toronto. Tough fight today. Final score, 2-1. to one. Hmm. Who won? Was it Zach back for his second day in a row? Did Zach get a win after a controversy, or did Randy stop him in his tracks? Matt, let him know. Zach, fair and square, at least that we know of, today. Congratulations, you beat Randy 2-1. to one. Your second day in a row, which means you're going to come back on Monday, and if you win on Monday, you're in the Hall of Fame. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, right. Zach, now, good job. Is, I know Monday is the holiday. Are we still doing it Monday? We're here. We're here. Sure. Yeah. We're oh, here. You're in. Cool. I'm yep. off. Yeah, I'm, I'll be on. That's fine. <laughs> All right, Zach. Make sure. Yeah, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. All right, it was David Murphy. He's the Texas Ranger who flew out to left field and Alan Craig to end the 2011 World Series. But as I said to Zach, we remember the Alan Craig portion. We remember John Jay. We don't remember who was on the other end of the ball. It was 2010 in Vancouver. That was the last Mm. time that the U.S. men's hockey team medaled in the Winter Olympics. Other than Buster Posey, the only player to win MLB Comeback Player of the Year award multiple times was Francisco Liriano. Liriano. It was Liriano. And the Toronto Raptors are the team that originally drafted DeMar DeRozan. Tough fight today. There we go. Questions all over the map. Coming up on 101 ESPN, a lot of rumors about NFL quarterbacks this year. Who could move where? We'll talk about that next with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Tea. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. We are less than a month away from the NFL league year starting, and that's when Aaron Rodgers says he'll make a decision before the league year starts as to whether or not he wants to be a member of the Green Bay Packers. Michelle, yesterday, Green Bay hired Tom Clemens, his first quarterback coach with the Packers, who had been in retirement, as their new quarterback's coach. That meant to appease Aaron Rodgers. Might not bring him back, but it seems as if right now the Rodgers... Packers dynamic is better than it was and we didn't know it was bad at this time last year but it seems like it's better than it was at this time last year. But Aaron Rodgers has the memory of an elephant and he's a Mm -hmm. mercurial guy so while it feels good today you never know what he's actually thinking or how he could feel tomorrow and didn't we say this about the Broncos when they hired Nathaniel Hackett? Oh they're they're taking Green Bay's Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator away in attempts to lure Aaron Rodgers there. I just don't know if any of those factors are really going to play into his decision and if he He's already made his mind up about what he's going to do. Rob Demosky of ESPN.com, who covers the Packers, writes, the Packers can't make it any clearer that they want Rodgers back. In fact, you might say they've gone overboard with the Super Bowl morning source report saying the Packers are ready to go all in to keep Rodgers. Here's Dan Graziano of ESPN on Rodgers. I do think there's a possibility. I don't know where his mind is on this, but I think there's always been a possibility that he would leave after this season and that his mind has been made up for a while. We'll find out soon, I would think. I mean, they got to know by March 8th whether they're going to franchise Devontae Adams. I mean, in the next couple of weeks, this is going to have to make itself clear. But uh, my understanding of this 
is that this hiring of Tom Clements is not uh, a sign that Rodgers has said he'll be back. It's another effort. <laughs> the, the Packers, what's going on with the Packers, it reminds me of the movie Notting Hill. Like, they're just a team standing in front of a quarterback <laughs> asking him to love them. And, and that's what this is going to be until they get an answer one way or the other. That's an incredible reference. Perfect. Just a team standing in front of a quarterback <laughs> asking him to love them. And they've done everything possible mm-hmm. to garner that love from Aaron Rodgers, which is why I don't know if they can win him. If if he doesn't think that it's a good and viable situation now, it doesn't seem like anything that they're going to do is going to be able to sway his opinion. There are a couple of teams that have the capital to go out and get him. Denver is one. Tampa Bay is another. I don't believe the Packers trade him to Tampa Bay and make Tampa Bay again a strong Super Bowl contender in their own conference. Do the do the Packers trade him to Philadelphia? Does Philadelphia even make a move for Aaron Rodgers? They have the draft capital to do so. Would the Steelers go out of their comfort zone? They've never made a trade like that and gone outside the organization to get a quarterback. Would they give up picks when their organization is built on picks? Although they did give a number one for Minka Fitzpatrick. But would they give up multiple picks to go get an older quarterback from outside the organization? What about the San Francisco 49ers? They gave up all of their draft capital for Trey Lance. But what if Trey Lance is part of the deal? What if Trey Lance is the long play from the 49ers to get something back to the Packers that would entice them. If you're the Packers, though, and you thought that you had evaluated Jordan Love properly, would you gamble on Lance being better than Love? But if you know that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to stay, and maybe you've evaluated him, and even though you might have missed on Mm -hmm. Jordan Love, you feel good about what you're seeing— it would be nice to have a young quarterback if, and even decide if you think he's good or not. He, Coming out of the draft, many evaluators think that he's going to be an absolute stud. He, of course, didn't look ready this year. But I just wonder if you are the Packers and you know Aaron Rodgers is going to leave if a young and potentially malleable, exciting prospect like Trey Lance is on the table, if that would be something that would entice them. If I'm the Packers, I've got to get Nick Bosa. Oh, in that deal. You need to ask. You need to ask yep. for a lot more than Trey Lance. Yeah. I don't know. If you're a front office, having two quarterbacks that both have a fifth-year option that you can then exercise or not, let them walk, build on them, you know, have your quarterback of the future, that's that's an enticing thing that I don't think anyone I don't think anyone's ever had that in, you know, in the last 20 years of football with, with the way the quarterbacks become so important. That'd be fun to see. Last time was probably Washington with RG3 and Kirk Cousins. Yeah. But if I'm the Packers— I, I'm going into – if I'm trading Rodgers, I'm probably going into rebuild mode, and I want picks. Mm-hmm. And obviously, San Francisco, they've given up three number ones for Trey Lance. They don't have one – didn't have one last year, this year, or next year. So you're looking beyond that. And I, I just don't know if San Francisco – sure, that probably puts them in the Super Bowl and it makes it worth it. But – Are they ready to do that again after giving up three number ones last year? Are you ready to give up picks this year, too? In the wake of the Rams just pushing all of the chips in and and Les Steed saying blank blank them picks and Mm -hmm. watching it work out for the Rams, I think that other teams might be a little bit more emboldened to take that same route, especially if you're a team like the 49ers who knows that you're a quarterback away Mm -hmm. from being in that position. Other quarterbacks that could or could not be on the move, it appears as if Russell Wilson is going to stay in Seattle. They like him. He says he wants to win two or three more championships in Seattle. So right now, as we sit here on 
February 18th, it appears that Russell Wilson is going to remain a Seahawk. Which was surprising for me, given everything we saw, not only in the offseason, but during the season coming out of Russell Wilson's camp, where you had his agent and people close to him floating actual destinations where he was interested in. It just seems like the fact that he might reportedly stay there or that it's unlikely that he moves is is surprising given what he publicly said his desires were. Michelle, I believe the team that rolls the dice on Deshaun Watson is the Miami Dolphins. I think so, too. It seems like everything that we're hearing about the Brian Flores situation, that he might not have been on board and that this is something that Stephen Ross wants. And it could be that if the Panthers see that Miami has a shot, maybe Carolina gets into that mix, too, because Carolina doesn't appear to be very happy with Sam Darnold. Doesn't look like Cam Newton is going to be back. So Carolina is going to be in the market for a quarterback, too. But I don't know if you're either one of those front offices or owners, how you justify that to your fan base until those 22 active lawsuits are settled. And Nick mm-hmm. Casario, the GM of the Houston Texans, says we're not going to move him just to move him. We're going to still wait for the right opportunity. If I was him, I would want to move him as soon as possible. I would, too. Because if those 22 lawsuits don't work out in his favor, then that's just dead money for you, right? But well, maybe a team well, would he apparently isn't going to be charged criminally. I mean, they've they've gone down the road here, so all he has to do is pay money. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe a team doesn't really care about the outcome. They just mm-hmm. want it to be resolved. But either way, if I'm Nick Casario and I know that a team's interested, I'm pushing to get it done mm-hmm. before there's a resolution. But I don't know if you're... Stephen Ross, or if you're the the Panthers, how you justify that to your fan base. Jimmy G seems resigned to the fact that he's not going to be a 49er. To me, this is, right with Rodgers, the most intriguing quarterback to move. Here's a guy that's, whenever he's played, he's won. But where does he fit? Who who likes Jimmy G? It is really an interesting situation because he does win and seemingly is a great leader. All of his teammates talk about how much they love him, how he's a guy's guy, he's a locker room guy. He seems to be a guy that is part of a good culture wherever he goes, whether it was in San Francisco or New England, and maybe that, you know, is... Uh, Maybe he was just in good cultures and Mm -hmm. was able to adapt to it. But either way, if I'm a team and I'm looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, there's been issues at times. Yes, there's been injury issues at times. But he's still somebody that I would want to take a chance on. For me, and I know they have to fix their offensive line, but the Steelers are the perfect spot for Jimmy G. Running game, Mm -hmm. defense, but they need, because he's been hurt so much, they need to fix the offensive line. What do you think about Indianapolis? I think that would be really intriguing, too. I think that so, That might be the best place to go and try to win a Super Bowl. That's what I keep thinking is that he doesn't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting there. I mean, if Carson Wentz could have the success that he has, I think Jimmy, we can all agree that Jimmy James seems like an upgrade from Carson Wentz. I think that that would be a very good spot for him to go. ESPN's Jeff Darlington on Carson Wentz, who appears to be on the outs in Indy. When you're noncommittal to your quarterback after less than one year after giving up considerable compensation, not crazy, but considerable compensation to get him. And after that week 18 game in Jacksonville, where, I mean, win and you're in, and that, that was the performance that he put up. I, uh, I don't see him in Indianapolis, but to your point, where does he go from here? What team looks at him and says, you know what, we can do what the Indianapolis Colts couldn't do, what the Philadelphia Eagles couldn't do. Uh, it, it is hard, I think, for people to fathom. I don't know why necessarily it's hard for people to fathom that Carson Wentz's days as a starter might be over. Maybe he'll get another chance, and oftentimes we're talking about a carousel you know, of quarterbacks that, that feels like it's, it's moving at a rapid pace. 
So maybe he gets another chance, but I don't think that that's as obvious as maybe people think it is. I get that. I can see how he would not, Wentz would not be a starter again. I agree, and I, I don't know why it would be hard for people to comprehend that he wouldn't be with Indy anymore. This is a team yeah. that needs to try to win now, and clearly he's not the answer there. And if you're the Colts, you certainly don't start with Jimmy G. If you're the Colts, you start. everybody starts with Aaron Rodgers. Every team starts with Aaron Rodgers. I would be calling Green Bay nonstop until Aaron Rodgers makes his decision. If mm-hmm. I'm if I'm the 49ers, if I'm the if I'm a team that even has any sort of a question mark about my quarterback, I am calling, calling, calling until Aaron Rodgers figures out what he wants to do. And if you're Indy and it's not Rodgers, you mentioned the name of Garoppolo. Where else do they go if it's not Carson Wentz? Do they try to get Kirk Cousins from Minnesota? Do they go after Derek Carr? I, I really wonder what the alternative move for the Colts would be if Carson Wentz isn't their guy. I know the report is that Russell Wilson, that a trade is unlikely, but do you call Seattle? You do you to try call. to do you try to make it work there? Because I know that wasn't on Russell Wilson's desired list, but he wants to win. I know that it's a, a lot of it has to do with location, with market size, the, the best move for his family. But at the end of the day, this is a competitive quarterback that thinks about his brand and his legacy maybe more than any other player in the NFL. And if he thinks that he can go to a tailor-made team where if he can slot in, they could win. I don't know why that wouldn't entice him. And by the way, one place where systemically a guy like Carson Wentz might fit the offense is Seattle. Shane Waldron running the Shanahan, uh, McVay run first offense there where there isn't as much pressure put on the quarterback to win the game. Although Wilson and Stafford lived up to that pressure. But Wentz would be a better fit there under a guy like Pete Carroll. Matt, did you have something you wanted to weigh in on here? I'm just interested to see because, you know, somebody's going to be the odd man out here. There's going to be one quarterback left, especially, you know, like if it's Deshaun Watson's the move to, let's say, Miami, you know, where's the second market here for is is Tua all of a sudden now that move happens. Now, Tua, is he an option for the Colts? You know, looking forward as somebody that now that now the Dolphins are going to want to get rid of him, get any kind of pick back so they can keep on building behind Watson. And then you get maybe a better, more talented quarterback for a little bit cheaper just because of the weird way it played out in, in Miami. I believe if Tua is not the quarterback for the Dolphins, that he is the backup slash insurance for the Giants. Hmm. He worked oh. with Brian Dayball at Alabama and Tua knows the Dayball system, and I I believe that would be a good spot for him if Daniel Jones doesn't work out. Yeah, even though we saw signs of progress from Tua and flashes of what you want him to be, I don't think a team like the Colts is going to take a flyer on a Tua. They're looking for a yeah. sure thing upgrade. Mm-hmm. I don't see the Packers being interested in a Tua. So that makes more sense in an organization like the Giants, him, him to go there and maybe have some time to take a step back, get comfortable, and then see what he can do. One month from now, we'll have a lot more clear indication of where these guys are going to be. Michelle, Matt, Randy, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, yesterday we talked about the possible death of Cardinal Nation, but one prominent guy uh, in baseball doesn't agree with us. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 
905 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Matt Rocchio, Randy Carricker. And yesterday, we spent the day wondering if Cardinal Nation is dead. Last year, they didn't sell out a game. 2019, didn't sell out NLCS games. And our franchise that is continually drawn 3.4 million fans and has continually been regarded as the franchise that resides in the best baseball town in America, we aren't drawn like we used to. And obviously the pandemic had something to do with that, uh, the, the loss of fans and the loss of interest. Greg Amzinger also joined us yesterday, and we asked him about whether or not Cardinal Nation is dead. No, 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 no. Everyone was dealing with this. Every single market was dealing with the same thing. The COVID apprehensiveness is still a thing. Uh, people weren't uh, 100% motivated to go sit next to a stranger without a mask on. And it's not a reflection of Cardinal Nation. It's not. What you're going to see as we see the vaccination numbers continue to rise and, 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 and the cases go down dramatically, uh, once this really gets in our rearview mirror, it's all going to come back. You have to understand, man, going to Cardinal baseball games is like a rite of passage. It totally is a rite of passage Mm -hmm. in St. Louis. It is for us. But is it going to be for families going forward? And that's the question that we don't know the answer to because we don't know if this drop-off is related to, in 2019, weather and the fact that people didn't think the team was going to win the NLCS or the pandemic. But at some point... Cardinal fans are going to have to show up for a team that isn't guaranteed to win the World Series, right? That's part of what makes them the BFIB is that they're there regardless of circumstances, Mm -hmm. that they support their team and and they take great pride in doing so. But I understand Greg's perspective on this, but just because every team had a drop in attendance doesn't mean that Cardinal Nation isn't dying. Just because it's happening universally doesn't mean that Cardinal Nation still isn't withering on the vine. And maybe it's not. Maybe this is all circumstantial based on your own experience, whether it's crime downtown or the price to go to a ballpark or COVID or you don't feel like the team is winning. Everyone has their own unique reasons why they might not want to buy a ticket. But I think... Greg is saying it's not an isolated incident in St. Louis. It's happening across the board. But that still doesn't mean that it's not a concern if you are the Cardinals. So I can tell you in my experience that my 27 and 24-year-olds are going to attend baseball games. Are they going to attend 15 games a year? Probably not. But are are they going to, uh, Patrick, will probably go to 5, 10 games a year. Mm -hmm. Katie will go to 3 to 5 games a year. They're young people that the Cardinals, I think, can count on to purchase tickets. But how many of that generation, the generation that now is 12 all the way up to 30, how many of those people are going to be purchasing tickets 15, 20 years down the road? That's a good question, especially when you have a very exciting product to watch in person in St. Louis Blues hockey and a team that recently won a cup and and is in the playoff hunt yet again. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that soccer is really, really big in St. Louis and St. Louis City SC. Think about how many people put down deposits to even get tickets. That is going to be the new, fresh, hot thing in town. And trust me when I tell you, they are curating every intricate detail of this experience to the St. Louis sports fan. 
It is going to be amazing. And people are going to only have a certain amount of money to go around for their entertainment and sports experiences. And I'm telling you, the Cardinals are going to have more competition than ever before. Baseball has more competition than ever before. And somebody texted earlier asking if the MLS and MLB seasons overlap. Well, MLS starts in March and ends in November. Right. The baseball season is within the MLS season. That, so that'll provide some competition. And somebody texts in from the 573 salient point. One thing that nobody has mentioned is that St. Louis fans are still showing up for the Blues. The seats are full at Enterprise Center. Yeah, that's what I was just saying, is yeah. that we have all of these great options of things to do right now, and there's more coming down the pipeline. It's all about entertainment. Think about the way we've yep. shifted from an entertainment consumption standpoint in our country. If if you're watching a show on HBO and every episode is getting dropped on Sunday, you're annoyed that you can't binge mm-hmm. it all at once. We want everything. We want to be entertained, and we want it now. And baseball doesn't really provide that. Some games are entertaining, sure, but think about the entire month of June. Do you want to spend your hard-earned dollars to go watch the product that the Cardinals put on the field in June? I don't. Now, during the 17-game win streak, do I? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of course. Right. And it's all relative to the moment, which didn't used to be the case when it came Bingo. to Cardinal baseball. Right. People appreciated the fact that it was a long season. Yes. And people that called St. Louis the best baseball town in America talked about how well-educated Cardinal fans are. And for better or worse, there is a dumbing down of baseball with the designated hitter. It's not uh, the thinking person's sport anymore. And when I was a kid, I would go in and there would be that guy at the front, the the concessionaire, yelling, scorecard, line up, Cardinal yearbook, scorecard, <laughs> line up, Cardinal yearbook. And I, every time I went to a game, I would buy a scorecard mm-hmm. and I would score the game. And my son did that at the age of five, six, seven, eight. You go to a game now and you never see anybody scoring anymore. All I see is people looking down at their phones. Yeah, it's a different animal now. And to your point, they have to find a way, aside from the fact that it is a social outing as much as it is anything else, a baseball outing. But the charge for the Cardinals is to find people that actually like baseball again. But if, let's say it is turning into, evolving into strictly a social outing, the Cardinals still do an unbelievable job of making it a fun social outing, which is another reason why I'm a little surprised that people don't want to buy tickets. And listen, maybe coming into this season we're going to see a big shift because it is Wayno and Yachty's last season. People are feeling more comfortable at this stage of the pandemic to go to games. It is outside. The Cardinals also do a great job of having great ticket packages to try and make Mm -hmm. things affordable for families. Maybe we do see an uptick in numbers, but I think it's just more of a general commentary on the state of baseball, of the game and the entertainment that the game is providing, not so much about the Cardinals. And that's where I'm coming from, is how do the Cardinals, independent of Major League Baseball, continue to build a foundation of people like us who went to games when we were 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old and love the game because of that. So from the 636, a great point that is piggybacking off what you're saying, Randy. Unfortunately, over the years, for several reasons, baseball has lost its charm. And so much of the reason we love baseball is everything you're saying. It's passed down from generation. It, it's a it's a big thread that ties us to our families and our communities. We take civic pride in the mm-hmm. Cardinals. It's It's been a, a thriving organization that represents us. You know, It's something that we really, really care about. But when you have owners and players fighting all the time, when when the, the game 
game is becoming more analytics driven and you feel like maybe you're being phased out of it, coupled with entertainment loss, it doesn't have the the nostalgia factors that were once very omnipresent aren't as severe anymore. That that in in 2022, I went with my dad when I was a kid. Doesn't really play the way it used to. No, it doesn't. And you make a great point about the analytics driven, the the uh, WRC plus. When I was a kid, it was cool to get the newspaper on Sunday and every stat of every player was there, and it was batting average, homers, and RBIs. It's a very difficult sport to follow now mm-hmm. in terms of the numbers because it's hard for a, when I was nine years old, it was easy to do the math. The reason that I was able to do statistics because I was able to do a, a batting average. Right. But now when uh, OPS is about as far as you can go with an eight or nine or 10 year old, but are you going to go war and WRC plus and uh, isolated power? Are you going to do that with a nine-year-old? Well, and think about the NFL, which is obviously king when mm-hmm. it comes to the sports and entertainment world. Think about how easy it is to consume an NFL season. One game a week. And even if you don't know all the rules or the intricacies of football, you can watch the athleticism at play. You know if a quarterback makes a, a great throw. You don't have to know well, what the scheme was. You don't have to know what the play call was. But you know that Patrick Mahomes just did something magnificent. And if you're in grade school, if you're a fifth grader, you can get together and play fantasy football with your buddies on the computer. Sure. And it's about touchdowns and touchdown passes and receptions and rushes and it's about numbers that are easy to digest. The athleticism of the NFL yeah. and the excitement and, and the, the simplicity. Offense, the simplicity of it is easily consumable. And Randy, think think about shows these days. We love reality TV because we check out. It doesn't take a lot for us to consume this. It's our lives are so stressful and chaotic and people are dealing with real life issues. So they like to turn to reality TV because it's mindless and it's fun and it, it makes them feel like this is something easy I can do on a Tuesday night for an hour. I, a lot of people don't want to turn on baseball and feel like they're out of the loop or that they can't follow along. It's 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 just a different world we're if, in. If I'm Rob Manfred, I'm hiring somebody from Nickelodeon to be my chief kids officer. The CKO? Yep. Love it. And that's what I'm going to try to do is find a way to entertain kids with baseball. Okay, let's get Robbie on the phone. We need to hire the CKO and we need the CSP, the common sense person. Yep. So just employ those two people and there you go. We're rocking and rolling. Michelle abbreviates things like it's the DMV. I love it. (laughs) The CSP, the common sense person. Just bring them into these negotiations. Someone that does not have an ego and that does not have a rooting interest on each side, but that can look at these two collective groups of people and say, you're acting like idiots. Yeah. Hey, what's it like if you live in the DMV, mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., yeah. Maryland, Virginia, sure, sure. and you have to go to the DMV? Go to the DMV and DMV? Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if that's confusing for Do anybody. Do you use your GPS to go to the DMV? In the DMV? You mm-hmm. almost have to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing. Coming up next, the Blues defense still struggling a little bit. And uh, this time, it's in front of Ville Husso. Is the defense a necessary move for the Blues at the deadline? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle, last night, a 3-2 loss for the Blues at Montreal. Not great. And not only did the Blues lose the game, but against a really struggling Montreal team that hadn't won a regulation game in their last 10 
The Blues allowed 51, I'm sorry, 64 attempts, 30 shots, 21 uh, shots on the net, and then 13 missed shots as well. So they weren't playing the stifling type defense that they need to play. Now, obviously, we all know that the key for keeping shots in your defensive zone down is to maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone. Correct. But everybody agrees that the Blues need a big left defenseman. And the question is, how do they do it with the cap constraints that they have? They'll have $175,000 under the cap when the trade deadline hits. Sure, you could trade Marco Scandella and his $3.5 million salary, but to get Scandella's money off the books, you're going to probably have to give up a second rounder. That's the going rate for somebody to take a contract, and then you're going to have to pay for the player. I wonder what the appetite of the Blues is this year to go out and maybe give up a number one and a number two to get a player that you'll have that's a rental. Do you think this team is good enough when healthy, when playing correct, to go out there and mortgage some of your future to make it better and go on a run to win a cup. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I th- and I think they are, but I don't know that – and Doug Armstrong is great at making trades. Yes, he is. The I best. don't know that I would give up a number one and then a number two just to take salary off the books to go get – anybody. Now, there are some players out there that I would give something up for. And as Joe Vitale mentioned, nobody knows, was it Joe Vitale or, uh, yeah, it was Joe. It wasn't David Perron talking about trades. (laughs) Bill Armstrong knows the the general manager of the Coyotes was the assistant general manager of the Blues. He knows the Blues assets as well as or better than anybody. So maybe the Blues could give up players or a player that we don't think is highly of, that Bill Armstrong drafted. And you could get a guy like Chikrin. But again, you're going to have to take salary off of the books so that you can get a guy like that onto your roster. And he obviously would be an upgrade, but he's not having the season that, no. that you would expect him to, which is probably one of, at least a contributing factor to why he might be available. But you have to hope then that if you go out there and you make that move, that he's going to be revitalized and you're going to see the player that you expect. If he's going to continue on this path, that's not going to benefit you. Right. That's a train wreck that yes. they have in Arizona. And you'd have to get a guy that would come into a new culture and have to really change the style of play. Remember when the Cardinal or when the Blues acquired Jay Bowmeister, I believe that he had gone the longest of any player in the league without playing in a playoff series. And that's another thing that Chikrin has to deal with is that the intensity of the playoffs are different. If he's being brought in here to be a number one guy in the playoffs, if you're the Blues, you don't know what to expect. You mm-hmm. can project and hope, but you don't know what to expect from a guy like that. And if, by the way, if, all, if they make that move and Chikrin is on their team, even though they have Falcon, even though they have Krugan, even though per, they have Pareko, their nominal number one guy is going to be Jacob Chikrin. He is going to be expected to be their top defenseman. And can you guarantee that that's going to happen? No, it's a gamble either way. But Randy, months ago, when we were probably projecting what might happen around this time, I think a lot of people thought this would be the opportunity to move Vladimir Tarasenko. But now Mm -hmm. you're definitely not going to do that with the way that he's been playing. No, and that's one of the things about the Blues situation. And whenever we talk about trades, I like to put myself in the shoes of an opposing general manager. We got a text earlier, trade Bennington uh, on Twitter. Well, If you're an opposing general manager and Jordan Bennington's in the first year of a 
contract that calls for him to make $6 million a year over the five years following this one, and you've seen what you've seen from Bennington this year, is he a really valuable commodity to you? Do you, do you want to give up a number one type defenseman for what Jordan Bennington has been this year? The, right now, probably not. But I always try to put myself in those people's shoes and, more importantly, their mindset. And these are people that look at what they've seen in the past and they always think I might be the one that can extract that out of them. I can be the one to get Jordan Bennington back to Jordan Bennington. I mean, if I'm if I'm queuing up the Stanley Cup playoffs or Game 7 of the Stanley Cup final and I know that that's the ceiling, I'm intrigued by that. Even if he's having a slump right now, knowing that the ceiling is what it was for him might be somebody I could take a flyer on. And I guess the other part of it is, if you're the Blues and everybody that we talk to says that a slump for Husso is inevitable... Husso has never had a year where he hasn't been hurt. So do you want Charlie Lindgren to be your number one guy heading into the playoffs? Chucky Sideburns? I don't know. I might, I might like it. But it kind of doesn't matter who's in between the pipes. The defense is going to play the way it has. And for me, I go back to what we talked about at the beginning. For the defense to be what it is capable of, even if you go get a guy, if you go get Jacob Chikrin and you aren't controlling the puck in the offensive zone, it's not going to make any difference at all. No, it doesn't matter. So what the Blues need to do is for their forwards to all play great. You can't have a game like you had last night from Kairou, Shen, and Saad. You just can't have those sorts of games. You have to maintain the puck in the offensive zone on a regular basis, and everybody has to be playing well and with effort. And we've seen that earlier in the season, that this Blues team is capable of that, which is why I think that this is such a, an intriguing position for Doug Armstrong to be in, because you know that you would like to upgrade, if possible, and you've seen that despite a lot of obstacles that this team had to overcome, they thrived through it, and that it could be a good and dangerous team come playoff time if you go out and make that move but do you think this team as currently constructed is good enough to go on a run i do if everybody is healthy because of the forwards because we this group of forwards i know can possess the puck in the offensive zone and yes i would love for them to be able to add a defenseman but if they're going to beat colorado it's not going to be because they add a defenseman if they're going to beat colorado it's going to be because they forecheck and they don't let Colorado get it get into the blue zone. They play their style of hockey. Yep. It's not reasonable to expect it, but I don't think I think we're discounting too much the chance here that um for like the third year in four years, uh Doug Armstrong finds a way to pair a first round pick with a bag of pucks to get a borderline all star. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's always live with Doug Armstrong because at some point there's a defender out there we're not thinking of whose t- his team is foolishly completely undervaluing him and Doug Armstrong is going to make a call and he is going to make the mistake of answering that phone call from Doug Armstrong. I was going to say, my guess is that if the Blues do make a deal at the deadline, it'll be for somebody that we haven't talked about. I was just going to say that, too. It's going to be out of left field, someone we don't expect, and that they'll probably be very productive. Yep. Michelle, Matt, Randy, coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, here we go. 
We didn't talk about this earlier in the week, Randy, but Jim Harbaugh, head football coach at Michigan, has agreed to a new five-year contract. It's going to run through the 2026 season. This deal gives him a one-year extension with new terms from the contract that he signed last January. This, of course, is on the heels of a lot of speculation about Jim Harbaugh moving to the NFL. We talked about him with the Raiders. We talked about him with the Dolphins. We connected him to almost every NFL head coaching opening, mm-hmm. but he's staying at Michigan. And... That makes sense for Michigan. He went to the Final Four this year. Everywhere he's been, he's won. And at the end of the day, if you're Michigan, if you look two or three years down the road, who do you see that's going to be better? Maybe Ohio State. I mean, in terms of a coach. If, oh, if, if sorry. Harbaugh, I thought you meant in, your, in yeah, the Big Ten. If, if <laughs> Harbaugh is not your guy. No, exactly. Who, who are you going to get that wins 10 or 11 games a year? I don't think it was on the Michigan side of them not wanting to retain Harbaugh. I think it was maybe on the Harbaugh side mm-hmm. of do I really want to go back to the NFL and try my hand at that again? And I, I would think that there's probably a little vengeance there and that they cut his salary in half last year and gave him a, a different deal. But once he realized with Minnesota that he wasn't going to have control of the operation like he does at Michigan, I, my guess would be he thought, you know what? I'm going to go to a place where I have control over my own destiny. And you finally beat Ohio State. You're finally in the playoff. You got your program to the position that you want it to be. That might be hard to walk away after all those years of enduring the ridicule, of enduring the questioning about if you were actually the guy, of people saying that you were on the hot seat. You finally get to where you want to be and you feel good about your future. I don't know if I could leave. Now, he lost his defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, to his brother with the Ravens. He lost his offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, went to Miami, the University of Miami, and took some other offensive coaches with him. So Jim Harbaugh is going to have to rebuild his staff. Apparently the offensive coordinator will come from within. But I'm intrigued by what they're able to do next year with a new coaching staff. Here's Paul Feinbaum, excuse me, Paul Feinbaum on Harbaugh's extension. I think it's preposterous, but it's also a necessity of college football. To stay ahead in recruiting, you have to keep extending coaches, and that's how programs get in so much fiscal trouble. But what sense does this make? Jim Harbaugh did not want to be there. We all know that. On National Signing Day two weeks ago, he got on a plane and went to Minnesota wanting that job for the reasons that we just heard. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He didn't get the job, so he, he crawls back to Michigan and, and Ward Manuel. The, the AD really has no option. He extends Harbaugh's contract by a year. This is not that dramatic. And I think the two sides are stuck with each other. This, this marriage is going nowhere. Uh, Michigan has a good team for next year, but, but the optics of this to me are really bad. Is this a staying together for the kids type situation? Yeah, and again, if you are okay with winning, 9, 10, 11 games a year. Usually you win double figures, you have under Jim Harbaugh, and you understand where you are in the big scheme of things. It's not a bad option to have. There's a lot of schools, I think, that would like to win 10 games a year. Uh, Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. University of Illinois, that'd be great. Yeah. Oh, and so is Mr. Mizzou here. Yeah. So. There's a lot of programs that would love yeah. that. So I, I don't think it's all that preposterous. And Feinbaum answered his own question. If you do want to recruit well, you have to have a coach that kids at least think is going to be around. And I don't, if the Raiders weren't going to give, the Raiders, Bears, Vikings, none of those schools or none of those teams were going to give Jim Harbaugh the level of power that he wants. He wants Belichick type power. I don't see that happening with another NFL team for Jim Harbaugh. I don't either. 
Randy, it's hard to believe, but 20 years ago today was the Sports Illustrated cover of LeBron James, where he was dubbed the chosen one. It said high school junior LeBron James would be an NBA lottery pick right now. Think about all of the hype that surrounded that cover and LeBron James and how he's lived up to it. Got it it right, huh? They got it right. He was, in fact, the chosen one. Right. And it is remarkable that it was 20 years ago. And here, what's most remarkable is that he's still great. If he had a better surrounding cast, he would be on his way to the playoffs and his team would be the favorite. For him to be 37 and playing the way he's playing, despite what surrounds him, is really amazing. And you look at some of the other Sports Illustrated covers, obviously Bryce Harper has turned out to be a really great player, but not to LeBron's level. Ralph Sampson never turned out to be LeBron's level. I guess Magic was. Magic was a young player that they put on the SI cover. But they their batting average for youngsters isn't that great, but the, the best one of all of them is LeBron. Well, you have to live up to it physically mm-hmm. and from a skill set standpoint, but also think about the pressure that comes with that. Knowing how to navigate the media, knowing how to navigate the expectations, getting acclimated to a different speed of the game and all of the challenges that come with being a professional with the biggest microscope on you. All of those things, all of the things off the court might be harder to overcome sometimes than the gifts that you've been given on the court. Think of all the opportunities for the SI curse to kick in for LeBron James. Oh my goodness. Well, Jabari Parker stands out as a guy who SI gave him a big cover and dubbed him as like the next LeBron right right before his his freshman year at Duke and we saw what happened with him. Yeah, who is the uh, who was um, Baby Jordan? He was also on the cover. It was a mid-major guy. I don't remember his name. Stand by. Was it Yeah, it doesn't say his nickname was Baby Jordan. Was Bull. it Harold Miner? There you go. There yeah. you go, Harold Miner. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. Remember when Carlos Martinez was Baby Pedro? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, mm. man. At least he can't blame Sports Illustrated. But good times, though, you know? Yeah. Good times. I'm. It's not that Carlos Martinez didn't have a, a good career. I mean, I would think for disappointing. a lot of people, it would be considered successful. But when your nickname is Baby Pedro and you're expected to be the ace and one of the one of the greats that our franchise has seen, disappointing. And not many videos of Pedro Martinez getting in fights in uh, parking lots of strip clubs. And finally, Randy, yesterday we talked about Kelly Smiley, who was the photographer who fell off the stage at the Rams victory parade. Um, She ended up fracturing her spine, was dealing with a lot of medical expenses and her professional camera equipment, which is very pricey, was damaged as well. And it was a bad video that a video that went around that painted Matthew Stafford in a bad light when he watched her fall, stared at her and turned and walked away. His wife, Kelly, rushed over to help her. But there's been a joint statement that has been released from Matthew and Kelly Stafford and the Rams. They said, we've been in communication with Kelly Smiley since yesterday's incident. We're sorry for what happened. As we told Kelly, we will be covering all her hospital bills and replacing her cameras. We wish her a speedy recovery. So in the moment, we know Matthew Stafford uh, partaking in a little bit of celebratory cocktails, maybe. I don't really know what happened in the situation, but uh, a video that could have looked really bad. It's nice to see that the Rams and the Staffords are coming together to make it right. Yeah, I wonder if the Rams would have if the Staffords didn't step up. Maybe he went to them and said, have these. I don't know. When the eventual lawsuit hit it, they probably would have. Yeah, that's, well, they don't really they care can't about sue her. She, she walked her. she walked backwards. I mean, it's not like they pushed her. What can you sue them? Sue someone? Negligence. For? No, there, there's uh, no railing. Yeah, no railing. On a, like a stage, above, above, on a stage above, above a certain height. I'm sure there's got to be like some OSHA kind yeah, of things yeah, there. You just, it's a civil suit. You just yeah. 
you nail them for that. And then they settle. I didn't, sign, they a, to, I didn't our, sign a waiver. Yeah, yeah they, they go to uh, arbitration. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But I thought it was nice that they're helping her out because obviously that's a really tough physical and financial situation for her to be in. And they would probably prefer that she lose all her money and get kicked out of her house. That's oh, their Randy. That's their history, right? Not the Staffords, not the Staffords. No, I'm talking about the Rams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. That's your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, speaking of the Rams, Aaron Donald says he'll come back, but there are some conditions. We'll tell you what they are next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you missed any portion of today's show, including our conversation uh, between Michelle and Joey about uh, jungle animals and uh, animals on safaris. Not in the jungle, in the African no, bush. In the African bush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to just check that out on the Dobbs Tire and Auto Center podcast, available at 101ESPN.com and with the 101 ESPN app. And to further that, see which animal we said the blues need to acquire. Yeah, this is something that the blues desperately need is... A, a different type of animal, mm-hmm. something a, from from cool. a size standpoint, from an attitude standpoint. Yeah, they need it. Hey, we have the NBA Rising Stars game tonight at eight here on 101 ESPN. The NBA All Star Weekend is upon us, and then tomorrow we have Texas Tech, Texas Tech, and Texas Saturday morning in basketball. Tomorrow night, Blues and Leafs five o'clock pregame, and then Sunday the NBA All Star game with the pregame at six. I'm, I got to take a look at what the over under is for the NBA All Star game. What do you think? Let's see. I'm going to go with. Usually it's like one fifth. I'm going to say the over under is over 300 points, Michelle. There are few things in sports I'm less interested in than the NBA All Star Game. Yeah, I don't watch it very often, but when I do, it's somewhat entertaining. So, but I do, I, I do love the fact that they just don't play any defense at all. All Star Games in general, just not my jam. No, they aren't. They're not great. But one of, the, one of the best, like they accept it though a lot better than the NFL guys. Like one of the best moments was last year where Giannis got a breakaway dunk and Steph was still on the other end and Steph just laid down in the paint because, <laughs> you know, he's it's, it's making a business decision in an All-Star game. That was just hilarious. I loved that. I'm just going to check over under NBA All-Star game. I'm guessing 248. That, oh, yeah, oh, that, yeah that's, that's a good one. No, that that's is a little low. You know, no, you're right. That is actually kind of low. I'm go, uh, I'll change it to 275. I'll go over, over under 275. Uh, the over-under is 319 and a half. Ooh. 319 and a half. So wow. I think I might bet the over there, too. Yeah, yeah. I should have gone like 170 for each one, yeah. 340 should have been, the, should have been the, the guess. That's insane. Well, there were reports last weekend, Michelle, on ESPN that if the Rams won the Super Bowl, that Aaron Donald would consider retiring. And he has not completely refuted or shut down those reports. As a matter of fact, after the Rams' victory parade with literally hundreds of people on hand, he hopped into his SUV and was asked by TMZ if indeed he was coming back. I'm going to join the moment. We bring everybody back. I want to come back. Von Miller, we bring them guys back. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. So if we bring back Von Miller and Odell Beckham, we can bring we can run it back and we'll make it happen. But that doesn't say I'm coming back no matter what. It does not. It sounds to me like he really wants them to bring those two back in free agency. But what a loss for the sports fan that would be if Aaron Donald in his prime decided to walk away. He'd be one of the best players ever to retire in his prime. Ever. 
I mean, he's one of one of the best, if not the yeah. best, defensive player we've ever seen. Right. Especially in, I mean, at least in this era. Recent vintage Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, before this era, Jim Brown at the age of twenty-eight. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is another one. He'd be right there among that group. But all of those players have legitimate reasons. If you're talking Megatron and Barry Sanders, they didn't want to play for the Lions anymore. They were fed Mm -hmm. up. Andrew Luck was dealing with a lot of physical issues, and there was things that he wanted to do in his life. Aaron Rodgers is coming off a Super Bowl. Aaron Donald. Oh, excuse me. Aaron Donald is coming off of a Super Bowl, and he's at the peak of his game. For him to walk away would be completely different circumstantially. Is it fair to say we might have to take a little bit of, of a grain of salt from the guy who's got you know a couple of quarts of grain alcohol running through, yeah, running through, I, running through I, his I blood veins at one time? Did you see him on uh, television uh, that night with James Corden? He was still feeling it well into the night. He, they they had a the Super Bowl parade around them might not have been very good, but the players certainly had no issue with it. From the six three six, he already said he's coming back. Stop the bad reporting. You literally just heard his voice saying they bring back. Aaron, uh, bring back Von Miller, bring back Odell Beckham Jr. We'll run it back. It's a short clip. I can play it again. Yeah, go ahead. We can do that. During the moment, we bring everybody back. Odell Beckham, Von Miller, we bring them guys back. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. We bring those guys back. Let's make it happen. He he didn't say there that he's coming back. Yeah, I didn't hear, I will be back no matter what. I heard, if the circumstances are correct, I will be back. Yeah. So somebody else brings up Robert Smith from the Vikings who quit to become... A uh, doctor. Wow, that's impressive. That is pretty pretty smart guy. So you don't want to watch the NBA All Star Game. So this weekend, Michelle is going to decompress after <laughs> well, nineteen straight days of drinking, but a, but a trip <laughs> some, too. Some days only one cocktail, like the day I flew, only one glass of shit. Well, okay. and I had a glass of wine on the plane, so I guess two. <laughs> it's it's not going to be fun because of the no defense. But there is one texter who, who I think this is a great point three one four pointing out that the Elam ending will be used in the All Star Game, and honestly. That's one of my favorite, like, super nerd sports things is the Elam ending where you set, at a certain part of the game, you set, this is the now the target score for the game, and the first team that reaches that is the winner. And so you take out the, the late game free throws, all the, the slow games and stuff like that. The fact that the NBA is trying things, we always talk about the yeah. MLB trying mm-hmm. things, this is the perfect time to use it in a game that's going to you know score 300 points and no one's really caring. Meanwhile, we've got the balloon party coming up here at the top of the hour, and hopefully... During the course of this weekend, we'll have more talks between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association after the 15-minute meeting yesterday. No definitive next negotiating session was agreed upon, but my impression was that they wanted to get together during the course of the weekend and hopefully make some progress. I don't know when they make plans to talk if they actually want to make progress, but you'd hope that... That 15 minutes yesterday gave us some. And one thing that did happen in that 15 minutes is that concessions were made on the part of the union. I know that they said they're prepared to meet every day next week, but I don't believe them. If you're prepared to meet every day next week, then why are you breaking after only 15 minutes? Why have you met, what, six, seven times since all, of this, yeah. since all of this has started? I don't believe a word that you say. I don't believe that there's a sense of urgency for you guys to get this done. It seems like a lot of posturing and a lot of ego. Greg Amzinger says that he has his plane ticket to do 30 teams in 30 days, and he is ready to be in Arizona on March 6th. So if they can reach an agreement... Right now it's February 18th, so we have 10 days left in this month. February is 28th, right? If, if they can reach an agreement by two weeks from today, they could get to spring training by March 6th. 
do a three-week spring training, a week of workouts and two weeks of games, and play opening day. Well, then they better get to talking. That's the thing. When you've only (laughs) talked six times in uh, roughly 50 days, that's no way to reach an agreement. But I really do believe, Michelle, that when we do reach an agreement, they're going to get together, they're going to have around-the-clock negotiating sessions, and it's really not going to happen that 24-7, not 24-7, but that 24-48-hour negotiation isn't going to happen until the players make enough concessions so that the owners say, okay, well, this is something that we can work with. I don't think the owners will make a single concession. It doesn't seem like that, that they're no. going to. But, you know, they meet for 15 minutes yesterday, and there's still, what, four or five issues that they didn't even broach, that they didn't even bring up yesterday? I just can't comprehend that for one second, that you know that your season starting on time is in jeopardy, that if you're a player, this is your livelihood. If you're an owner, these are your investments. All of it has to do with financial ramifications, and you're not meeting for more than 15 minutes. You're not locking yourself in a room to at least address every single issue when you meet. That just blows my mind. I wonder if owners want to find out what the appetite for the players is to actually sit out and actually threaten to miss game checks. Because they know that if this becomes a staring contest, that they're not going to blink first. And guys that are on the executive committee, people like Andrew Miller is probably going to retire, Max Scherzer, Marcus Simeon, Francisco Lindor with $300 million contracts that are making $40 million a year, $30 or $40 million a year. They don't care about missing. But the 60% of the players that are making the minimum are going to care about missing. And I would hope at some point those guys will get in touch with the union and say, hey, you know, I'm part of this union too. Yeah, I'd like to play a little bit. Yeah, especially after you spent so many years in the minors when you weren't making a lot of money and this might be your only opportunity to cash in while you can. By the way, I was talking to somebody in the know a couple of days ago who said that there is a chance that in the very near future – the Major League Baseball Players Association will fold the minor league players into their group, that the minor league players would be part of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Interesting. So we'll see if that happens. And if it happens, it could happen very soon. Great job by our producer engineer today, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, Randy. And we thank Michelle for uh, sharing a great story with us. It was really entertaining. Yeah, Randy, people are commenting on my Instagram pictures. What day of the bender was this? and you don't even have bruised pictures up on the Instagram, do no, you? No, I hit them. Heal up, Smalls. I'm, t- I'm trying, guys. But you have people trolling me now on Instagram, see? So my recommendation is for you just to get some rest this week. Dry out a little bit. <laughs> I'm not drinking for three months. Honestly, I'm, when I tell you that I don't drink at home, I don't go out, I don't do anything, this was zero to 100 real quick for me. And now we're back to normal. We're trying to get back to normal. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.